Welcome to Rise Smile Films, the film review podcast that mixes cinema with fine spirits. Journey with us as we encounter new, old, and strange films with the occasional dabble into sports and music. Proceed with caution as these podcasts feature spoilers and some mature language. This is Matt. And this is Jesse. Today on tap, we have Superman 2 and Superman 2 The Richard Donner Cut, starring Gene Hackman, Christopher Reeve, Ned Beatty, Jackie Cooper, Margot Kidder, and Terrence Stamp, and in the Donner Cut exclusively, Mr. Marlon Brando. Hmm. Based on Superman by Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster, story by Mario Puzo, screenplay by Mario Puzo, David Newman, and Leslie Newman, and directed by Richard Lester and Richard Donner. Uncredited. <laughs> yeah, uncredited. In my version. Sure. Welcome back to Rye Smile Films. It's time to return to the world of Superman DC Comics. Uh, you and I had such a good time talking about Superman 1978. It quickly spiraled into an episode that was longer than the film itself, which I just love. But there was a lot to dive into and tackle there. So um, it was your pick uh, for Superhero Grab Bag. And you kind of thought, what better way than to bookend it with this very interesting experiment and sequel uh, to the 78 film? Full disclosure, and you tease it out in the open, mm-hmm. there's a lot of behind-the-scenes production story on this. That's why you did the Donner's Cut and I did the Saul Kine's Richard Lester version. Yeah, I guess they're the same movie. I mean, I guess the same ideas there. It's Zod and his minions versus Soups. I just think how we get there is an interesting discussion to have. Yeah, it's a similar bone structure. It's just There's just, <laughs> there's just different skin on each version. Oh, wow, look if, at you. If that's a good you know, metaphor for you. Kind of uh, like the metaphor when you get in the strip you of all your powers cell and the, the, you get your skeleton shown in a red light like yeah. that kind of a skin yeah and the the fortress of solitude chamber yeah, yeah. yeah. uh when's the last time you saw superman 2 oh my gosh i, I don't know yeah what? 20 plus i can't wait to talk about it uh we had spoken on the first episode of this was one that was always on tv like all the time it seemed like so i always remember superman fighting the kryptonians in like Times square new york like i always remember that I remember a couple key moments that I'm sure we'll discuss, uh, but this is going to be a fun episode, everybody. Mm-hmm. Having some more of the Redwood Empire, John Muir, Emerald Gray, or Emerald Giant Rye Whiskey. I think this is another winner in the stable of pretty uh, bottles worth seeking out. Yeah, nice bottle. This is a winner. To my sister-in-law, who mm-hmm. gave this to me as a birthday present. Now, thank, we'll, thank we'll you, ha- Debbie. Yeah, thank you. We'll have to do some research. I don't know if Redwood Empire does any other whiskeys, if this is just kind of like their rye variation, but mm-hmm. I'd be willing to look into that. But let's not beat around the bush. Let's get to our flight question. So being that we're kind of floating all around the bush of a film that was, you know, had a troubled production, uh, an alternative cut that did exist out there and through the powers that be did get to see the light of day. So 
oftentimes that's not the case. You know, if there is an alternative version of a film existing out there, uh, sometimes the studio suits are keeping that under lock and key. Uh, sometimes the footage is just lost. It's been swept away into a dumpster. But Matt, just kind of fantasy question, if there is an alternative cut of an existing uh, film out there, whether the cut exists or not, uh, what's one uh, that you would like to see uh, in the vein of the Donner cut? As imagined, Mm -hmm. no firings. Get out of my way. Let me have reins on this. You hired me for my previous work in a movie that was superhero-based, although found footage. You know where I'm going. Yeah. Josh Trank's real version not messed around with by whoever at Marvel and all of that got in the way of Sony. Maybe it was a Sony print. No, it was Marvel box box. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Josh Trank's real version of the fantastic four. Yeah, that's it. If you, if you doubt me and that guy's career is toast, <laughs> super toast because of how he acted on set, mm-hmm. but it shouldn't be toast. Cause if you see Chronicle, you see what could have been with ensemble type superhero films. It's had to be what got him the Fantastic Four. Mm-hmm. That movie's terrible. I I rewatched it uh, a couple months ago and I, I, I was sick. And you know, for <laughs> made you sicker. Yeah, I think it has its moments. Yeah. Uh, it I, it has a lot of potential. The cast is really well thought out, right? Uh, Miles Teller, Michael B. Jordan, uh, Jamie Bell. I would listen to that. Right? Yeah, yeah. How do you screw that up? Yeah, it's I think put together pretty well, but you can just tell there's a lot of meddling in there, and you know some of the alternative decisions they decided to go. They really messed up Doom in that film. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, I don't know if that was the case. If you know he hadn't gotten fired, if he got to do his real version, but then like his temper tantrum after the fact certainly didn't help the efforts of possibly seeing a director's cut of that film. Right. Right. Had he played ball and kind of went along with it, you know, maybe that that could, but that I don't think we're, I don't know if we're ever going to see that one. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't think they'll ever do that because even with this film, Donner being fired from this movie and giving it to Richard Lester, I think there was still enough of an olive branch that there was an amenable way to get his version out. Josh Trank burned this thing to the ground and then <laughs> yeah. reconstructed flame, flame it. Flame on, right? <laughs> yeah. Burned it again. Yeah. Clobber in time, flame on, send it to the moon, gamma rays, rebuild it, and do it all again. Mm-hmm. Destroyed it and himself, really. Yeah, because it killed, I mean, what did he have? Was it Boba Fett? Mm-hmm. He had like a Boba Fett solo film, which I guess became the book of Boba Fett, which, blah. <laughs> Maybe that was a good choice for him. Yeah, to kind of bail on that. But I think the last film he did was some sort of Amazon Prime project. It was Capone with Tom Hardy. It was pretty terrible. <laughs> it was a pretty bad movie, but... But there's a time when Mark Webb and Josh Trank seemed like can't miss Golden us. Boys, right? And th- they missed. They missed big time. Uh, excellent choice. Excellent choice. I would like to see the, what, what, what that could look like. And a decent adaptation of the Fantastic Four for the first time. I mean, we're still waiting for it. Uh, my, I'm also going superhero with mine. And, and mine that I do think exists to some capacity. I don't know what can be done with it now that the director has since passed on, but there's an alternative, darker, edgier, longer cut of Joel Schumacher's Batman forever that I would love to see. Hmm. Uh, Make no bones about it. I'm a fan of that movie, Matt. There's, there's a Batman forever figurine sitting right next to you. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, I like the camp of that film. I, I really do like Val Kilmer as Batman um, but it does veer a little too much into the Jim Carrey show at times in that film. 
And I think Schumacher, there's a lot of deleted scenes that I've seen that really get to the psychological root of Bruce struggling with not wanting to be Batman anymore and his destiny and whatnot. There's like this scene that they had with like this gigantic animatronic bat that's like kind of comes and like, like envelops Bruce Wayne. There's footage that exists. And I, the first time I knew about it was in the comic book adaptation. There's panels and scenes in the comic book that don't exist in the finished film. And then years later, I saw that there were scenes that reflected those panels. So Mm. the footage exists, but someone else would have to put it together based on his original screenplay or treatment, right? And I just don't know if that's going to happen now that he doesn't really have a say in it. Yeah. Whereas Donner in this film got to, you know, come on board, be a part of it. You know, it took some convincing. I'll get into that a little bit later, but he at least had to add some say, right? Yeah. Good Uh, choices. Yeah, I think, yeah, just... The alternatives of superhero-ness. Any consideration or would you like... I mean, no, the answer might be yes to both of these. Would you like to see that uh, potentially darker, longer cut, uh, un, uncensored uh, event horizon? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. More hell, right? More the more hell, hell scenes. The scenes they had to cut to get an R? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's such an... Well, we've talked about it a lot. Yeah, that'll be a, that'll be a future. We have to do that sometime. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd like to see that. Um, and what about any consideration to Paranormal Activity 3 with all the footage in it this time? <laughs> Make the movie that you said you made? Yeah. Yeah, it would have been awesome. I don't know if the witch stuff is probably still going to mess it up, right? It's probably still going to screw up everything. But yeah, I think if all the stuff that was shown to us was actually in the movie, that might be pretty good. Yeah. Any other ones for you? or? Um, I wondered about Daredevil. Ben Affleck's Daredevil. Mm. What if that was delivered as intended? Um, it wasn't that long ago that I watched that. Mm-hmm. I don't. That's not. A, I'm not trying to defend that movie. And everybody missed out, and it, it's kind of bad. Yeah, you can see there's a sapling there of what could have been a really solid film, but the one that trumps that for me is Green Lantern. Mm. There was a lot of pre-production and post-production problems with that. Um, from what I came across, they decided two, three different times to either franchise it, stand alone, go back to a franchise it. And because of that, you get a very murky middle and a, kind of a terrible ending. Yeah. Uh, Parallax. <laughs> with Yeah, with a wasted major bad guy. Yeah. Um, it should have just been the introduction to the Sinestro and Sinestro Corps, and that should have been enough. I saw this great... Uh, collage of images and i think the tagline just said like wasted potential and it had sinestro in the the tag scene of that mm-hmm. it had henry cavill in that stinger scene in black adam mm-hmm. and it had a couple oh the 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 sinister six room in the amazing spider-man too it said all these scenes that they showed that just essentially went nowhere, went nowhere. <laughs> uh, and i thought that was fairly fascinating that sinister six thing you know remember we had a friend mm-hmm. that was greenlit to write that. Yeah. I'd forgotten all about Stephanie in that. Yeah. God, what happened to Stephanie? Yeah. Thor, Ragnarok. 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 Yeah, and I think Toy Story 4, and I think she kind of got thrown into some of that Marvel TV stuff too, which is just <laughs> dead as dead for well, me. I mean, it's a, it's, it's a job, I guess. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, some, yeah, I actually, the, the, I, so a lot of films that I do like, like Blade Runner and Apocalypse Now have actually had their own director's cuts, right? Alternative mm-hmm. versions of the original film. So I think it's, you know, it's rare if the footage exists and there's, 
at least an interest. You know, we saw that with the Snyder cut. I mean, I guess his fans complained enough that they wanted to see it. Yeah. And we did a whole two-parter on 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 that. But this is kind of the original Snyder's cut today. Mm-hmm. So I can't wait to talk about it. I can't wait to surprise you. I can't wait to talk about Superman 2. So let's get into it. Up, up, and away. All right, here we go. Our review breakdown of two versions of Superman 2. The decision of the council will now be heard. Guillotine. Guilty. 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 The vote must be unanimous, Jorah. It has therefore now become your decision. You alone will condemn us if you wish, and you alone will be held responsible by me. Before me, Jorel, I swear it. No matter that it takes an eternity, you will bow down before me. Both you, and then one day, your ass. Terrence Stamp's pretty good as as General Zod. We'll talk a little bit about him later, but. That scene was in the original 78 Superman. It's actually the opening scene in my version of the film. Um, but let's just talk about how these films open up uh, in kind of different parallel ways. Your version of Superman 2, you essentially, you, you there's an interesting odd scene of Nam, the Kryptonian, like taking out and snapping the neck of like some weird Kryptonian. Mm-hmm. Dude, he looks like, that guy looks like he's on the set of Battlestar Galactic. Yeah. And then they get arrested, they get tried, they get put in the picture frame and whisked off to the Phantom Zone. And then your opening credits are fairly, essentially, a recap of the first movie, right? Yeah, so about all that. Okay. Um, Let's do the credits second. Mm -hmm. After Nam snaps that guy's neck, and essentially it looks like they are set up watching Zod snap that red crystal, which is seditious treason. Mm -hmm. The rest of how we see... Zod's trio done away with in the first film is kind of brushed aside. Mm-hmm. Remember in that first film, Jorel is the deciding vote. Mm-hmm. Jorel doesn't even show up in this one. Yeah. <laughs> the voices from above just cast down the penance of guilty. And here comes the mirror from the mirror dimension to whisk away the baddies. On top of that, mm-hmm. as Zod and Ursa and Nam are tumbling through the air in the original film, Zod looks like he's trying to get out. Mm-hmm. In this film, he is levying these very heavy threats against Jarrell of a return and the imminent hell that he's going to unleash upon that return. Mm-hmm. It still works. I mean, they're still in there. And I don't even mind the backstory of seeing them get in there. I think that's a cool part of this. Yeah. But Jarrell was a big part of the final piece that put them away. Yeah. Then jump into, and something that I brought up, which is a huge problem in the first film, although I don't like recap, although I, I don't mind on occasion mm-hmm. recapping what had come before so you know where we are. Yeah. Man, Jesse, <laughs> my opening credits are seven minutes long. I, I mean, from Nam and Ursa and Zod being put in the mirror yeah. to fade in officially. Yeah. It's, I'm, it's really seven minutes. And it's like little, like a, it's like a greatest hits reel of film one, right? Yeah. Seven minutes. Yeah. And we've talked about that before on this show of like around this time, it felt like they were doing a lot of that because, hey, these people haven't seen this movie in 
two, three years almost. So they need a little bit of a refresher to know what happened last time on Superman. Um, and so we do less of that now, less of recap. I mean, the Rocky films did it. Uh, the Friday the 13th <laughs> series did it. But seven minutes, wow, I didn't know it was that long. If you take that plus the ending credits mm -hmm. in a movie that's 203, my version's 203. Mm -hmm. It's like 13% of the film. It's just text. <laughs> Actually, that's not right. It's about, no, it's about 8% of the film. What do we think of? But it's still a lot, though, for credits. Yeah. It's over 10 minutes. I'll get to my version here in a <coughs> second, but let's talk about Zod for a second. Uh, played by Terrence Stamp, this my favorite role of his, and you know he's had a very long and illustrious career from The Phantom Menace to Get Smart and mm -hmm. a ton of films, right? Uh, I think he's pretty good here. Uh, I kind of like his his motivation is kind of uh, genealogical mm -hmm. to an extent, and essentially just he wants to just rule over something, right? Yeah. Doesn't matter if it's Krypton. I mean, essentially later becomes Planet Houston, <laughs> uh, but he just wants to. I want to show that I'm more powerful than anyone else in the room. And I'm going to rule with an iron fist. So it's a little bit different than I want to destroy to rule over rubble. But he has the tools. He has the capabilities. He has one and a half pretty good servants, I would say. Mm -hmm. Actually, you know what? Three. Even though Nam's pretty stupid or portrayed as fairly incompetent, he's the muscle, right? Yeah. Uh, what do you think of, you know, Zod's arc or his motivation? For being a very small man, mm -hmm. he does command a big, big voice. Mm -hmm. That bit that you played where he is yelling at Jarrell from afar. Yeah, this bowing down thing, right? You're going to kneel before me, bow down before me, you're going to worship me. Napoleonic? Mm -hmm. Might we say Napoleonic? Yeah, I think Terrence Stamp is great. I think Ursa's great, too. Mm. Yeah. Ursa's kind of hot in this movie. <laughs> kind of. Yeah, she yeah. has yellow teeth, but yeah. they weren't. there was no whitening toothpaste back yeah. then. But yeah, she kind of is in sort mm -hmm. of a Rocky Horror Picture Show Magenta oh, kind of way. Well said. Well said, yeah. yeah. Vampiric? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Femme fatalish to an extent. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a great line. I don't know if it's in your version. Uh, it's going to all start blurring a, a little bit here, but there's a great line. I don't know if it's on the moon sequence or later in uh, Planet Houston, a little town sequence where someone tries to hit Zod with something or he catches it and breaks it and someone goes like, oh, God, and then he says, no, Zod. Mm -hmm. Uh, that's pretty cool, right? Yeah. He is godlike. He has the powers, these almighty powers. So essentially the, the anti-Superman, it's the same person just with, I'm not going to help people. I'm going to destroy and rule. Mm -hmm. I'm going to enslave them. Mm -hmm. What do you think of, you know, just from what you remember, you know, Michael Shannon's version of, of Zod, because they essentially kind of give him in Man of Steel that same version of you will kneel before me in your heirs. But in this one, it's Jor-El, I will find your son. I will find him. Uh, I love Michael Shannon. I think that's a great casting. I just think a lot of that falls apart as the film, the fucking Codex and Terraforming Earth and Kryptonian this and it most the gravity world drive. Oh, world engine, man. World oh, engine. Yeah. There you go. It, it essentially all falls apart by the end, but it's inspired casting. I guess we'll get to see him again in a couple short weeks, right? Yeah, I think you picked a nice casting choice, but it's very hard to evaluate because that movie's so terrible. Mm -hmm. On the flip side, I think a lot of people can make a case, maybe rightfully so, maybe not, I don't know, that this movie's less than awesome, mm -hmm. yet Stamp, with the same motivations, kind of partly saves this film. Mm -hmm. 
So that's a bit of a quandary, isn't it? Because is Man of Steel just so bad mm-hmm. that even excellent Michael Shannon, who, you know, yeah. perennial great villain. Yeah. Um, Can't save the movie. Cheech. What does he call him? And that, um, oh, in uh, For the Devil Knows You're Dead, what does he call Philip Seymour Hoffman in that? Ace Cheech, whatever. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah, no, he can't save it. Nothing can save it except for fade out. <laughs> but I don't know, Jesse. That's a good question. Uh, yeah, Michael Shannon's great as odd. I think that on paper that should have worked. Yeah. On paper that should have never got greenlit the way it was written, though. Oh, yeah. That, that's well said as well. Mm-hmm. Okay, my version, my opening of the yeah. film. So I essentially get a redo of Jor-El saying, you will pay for these crimes, I will, and then you'll bow down before me and your heirs. Then they get put into the picture frame, whisked off to the Phantom Zone, and a couple interesting things happen here. When they're flying in the Phantom Zone, Superman's little baby ship actually flies past their picture frame. And there's some extra dialogue in here that I had never caught before, which is, you know, he's going through the Jarrell audio tapes, right? And one of them in there says, Your mother, Lara, uh, sent you with some garments, red, blue, and yellow. These will protect you from the harsh... Uh, environments of planet earth, which essentially his costume, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't think that's in the 78 version when he's being whisked away. So I thought that was kind of a cool little detail, right? That is cool. Sent off his baby garments are essentially going to become his outfit. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then we do interior phantom zone and it's kind of like a warped, like weird MC Isher, like kind of weird, strange thing. It's cool. And then we cut to the, towards the end of 78 Superman, which is Lex launching the nukes, him putting the Kryptonian necklace on him, Valerie Perrine taking it off of him, not before getting a smooch first, right? Yeah, rapey. Yeah, and then he goes and gets that first nuke that's going to Hackensack, right? And then so off he pushes this nuke uh, into space. The other one blows up in the San Andreas Fault, right? But then we follow this missile as it, collides headfirst into the Phantom Zone uh, portrait. So Zod and the two Kryptonians get freed, whisked off, and Terrence Stamp delivers a great free moment as they fly towards the moon. Mm. Um, Different than how it's going to play out in your version, but I kind of like that they tried to tie in essentially, and I'm going to get to a general hypothesis here in the film, which is maybe they should have just released one long four hour version of Superman. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. It it kind of uh, flows together a little bit, which is Superman's actions essentially in both versions are responsible for letting out the Kryptonians. One is just part of the first film story, right? Uh, What do you think of that? I like yours better than mine. The question I think we have to pose is how far is Krypton? Mm-hmm. This is so petty, but yeah. how far is Krypton from Earth? Yeah. Because it sounds like in your version to a lesser degree, but certainly in my version, mm-hmm. it's just a quick left turn past the moon. Yeah. Or I don't. I, I also don't know, too, how this Phantom Zone portrait has just been floating through space for years, right? Right. Like, like 35 years. So I guess it's gotten closer <laughs> Yeah, it's a really good shot and a really lucky shot. The explosion makes a bit more sense, even more sense than what happens, how they do it in mine. Mm-hmm. You got to get them out. Yeah. Um, Yours is another nuke too, though, right? <laughs> yeah, mine's another nuke too with an okay action bit, I guess, around it. Do you want to do mine too? So we can do it later. Or you want to wait a minute? Yeah, well, yeah, we'll get into the... I think... 
we got to get him out. Mm-hmm. I guess my question is this. If Zod seems to be this seditious element that I feel like is upset with the forces or the hierarchy of Kryptonian brass, governmental brass, some of that needs to revolve around them not acknowledging Krypton's days are numbered. If Zod knows that, then I think this is a really easy fix, Jesse. A way to make Zod even more strategic than how he shows up in the film Mm -hmm. is to get put into this phantom zone, into this floating mirror, to avert the disaster on Krypton, and then have another chance in a second life to find another place to rule on. So, yeah, it's just happenstance in these films, right? As we're watching him in the mirror, and especially in your M.C. Eschard version, not that he, terrible example, and I don't want this, but. He's going up for, some sideways stairs. Yeah. <laughs> for posterity of time, you know, he's got the Emery board in his pocket that he's able to, or the dog whistle in his pocket that he's able to blow that creates a tone that shatters the glass. And but you know what I mean? Somehow they get out. Yeah. And you can do that in any number of ways, writing creatively. That gives Zod a cerebral take that I don't know if we get. I mean, again, I'm not, and the Zod's fine in the film. I'm just saying. A different way to give him a little bit more. Yeah. And to defend the other way, the nuke that Superman launches into outer space would have a large blast radius. Mm -hmm. I just don't know if he has enough time and there's enough power to even get it out of the Milky Way. Mm -hmm. And I don't think Krypton's in the Milky Way. Yeah. Yeah, it's somewhere else, right? So we got to get out of the galaxy and maybe out of the universe, and now we're talking really, really a long, 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 long way. Yeah, and I don't think he's doing that. My, I guess, take on that is this portrait has flown its way into the Milky Way okay, sure. at, at this point. I think it's essentially the Phantom Zone is its own thing. Jarrell's an even bigger idiot to put those guys even in any proximity of his son. Yeah, yeah, you should have just killed them right there in the, yeah, just, in, yeah. in, in the hula hoops, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, so then, then finally I get my credits about 13 minutes in and essentially mine's kind of just reviewed footage of the first movie to an extent, but I think it repurposes it in a different perspective of how we're going to look at the sequel. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and then my, my footage is all, it's, it's more space credits, which to John Williams music, you don't even get the pleasure of Williams music in your version. You get Ken Thorne's music and boy, do I have a story, a John Williams story for you a little bit later. Oh, okay. Good. Yeah. Um, but let's talk about the openings of the film. So we go, we're in Metropolis in both versions. In uh, yours, uh, Clark shows up bumbling. Oh, gee shucks, why? Right? And like, oh, where's Lois? Oh, I've sent Lois off to Paris. She's covering some uh, new incident, and it's like this this terrorist thing, right? Mm-hmm. They they've taken the Eiffel ha- Tower hostage. Uh, they have a nuke in the elevator, and Lois is trying to get the scoop, right? Lois on assignment, which seems to me like... Do you remember the old Flesher Superman cartoons, the, like, eight-minute ones? Yeah. That was, like, Lois in a nutshell was, like, Lois is going to go get the story, and then she, like, gets in a jam, right? Mm-hmm. And then here comes Superman to, like, get her out of it. Uh, gets in a jam. What do you think of that? What do you, I, I always remember the Paris sequence. Like, I always remember it seems to take Superman... Freaking forever to get to Paris. This uh, guy can spin the world in four seconds, and it takes him a day and a half to get, or four hours to get to so Paris. so long to get there, right? But what do you think of the yeah, Lois on assignment, sneaking in? I mean, um, I, I, I really like Margot Kidder in, in, in this film as well. She was giving me some serious Courtney Cox vibes. Oh, like yeah. Mid-90s Courtney Cox. 
Um, I think she's pretty good here, but I, maybe we want to see a little bit of Lois being a little, how do we call it, spunky and mm-hmm. uh, a little edgy. Uh, this is the reporter that is going to get the story by any means necessary, even if she has to get underneath an elevator. <laughs> Yeah, my question is, why Paris? Mm-hmm. Other than the Salkinds just feel like they want oh. to show in their international... This plays yeah. better in, in Metropolis yeah. than it does in Paris. That's why we're there, Matt. <laughs> right. you, need a, you need a skyscraper. So the Eiffel Tower essentially defaults as the skyscraper that's going to be the needle to launch things skyward. Boy, you have plenty of those in Metropolis, don't you? Mm-hmm. Um, I, there's simple decisions in this in this film that you can make that I think keep it from getting too wonky. This is an example. We're not having this discussion about why does it take Superman so long to get to Paris right now, which is petty criticism, but that's what we do. Yeah. We should make a podcast about <laughs> that's that. That's what we do. Yeah, there yeah. you go. <laughs> we'll call it Petty Smile Films. Yeah, there you go. Um, so if you stay in Metropolis, I think you get a better look at some of the non-street-level antics that go on in Metropolis, but you get to build that world. And we've done a good job building Krypton. We've done a good job of building the Fortress of Solitude. Mm-hmm. But good, good locations, right? But Clark's home is Metropolis. Mm-hmm. Not Superman's. Clark's home is Metropolis. Because yeah. that's where he works. Mm-hmm. So high-rise, sky apartment complex... I buy Lois there more than I do mm. elsewhere. Yeah. Or even if not there, then just go to Chicago. Yeah. Keep it stateside. I actually think this is handled, or this version of the same sequence is handled a lot better in Superman Returns when uh, Lois is like on that uh, jetliner and they're about to do like some sort of new like Elon Musk like space thing. And of course it like malfunctions the entire plane like, and she's on there, so then Superman goes and saves her, saves the whole plane. Like, I think it's the same version of that, but that happens, like, in Metropolis, right? Mm-hmm. He just has to fly up. Yeah, right. <laughs> so it makes more sense uh, there, you know, kind of kind of the same thing. Lois beat reporter. Yeah. My version of this, so we return to the Daily Planet. There's a nice uh, newspaper article of Superman saves uh, the West Coast uh, from utter destruction. And Lois gets like kind of like a hair up her ass of like looking uh, at this newspaper and seeing, wait a minute, this picture of Superman looks a lot like Clark standing over there. Like, and Clark's talking to Jimmy about some nonsense. So then she, with a like a Sharpie, she like starts drawing like a, a fedora and glasses and a suit. And she's looking at it and I was just like, this is the guy, right? Uh, and then we get this. Tall, broad shoulders, dark hair. Gotta give you credit, you really had me fooled. And I'm nobody's fool. Superman. Superman. (laughs) You mean, you think I'm Superman? (laughs) Willing to bet my life on. Lois, you know, you are priceless, really. I mean, that is the single most ridiculous thing I've ever... Lois, what are you doing? You wouldn't let me die, Superman. Into the river? No. <laughs> Wait a minute. Yeah. So she doesn't even go to Paris or jump into a river in your version? Yeah, no, there's no river jumping in mine. In this scene, this is happening at the planet, and she throws out herself the out the window. Dude, it's, it's insane. It's such a toxic way to say 
You can think of calling your bluff. Yeah, I'm calling your bluff. I'm going to kill myself. And so Superman is like in a huge conundrum at this point because he, A, doesn't want to see Lois die. B, doesn't want to reveal his true identity. So in a very cool sequence, he actually speed runs to the ground floor and then uses two powers that we haven't seen yet in the film, which is his uh, uh, breath breath to kind of slow her momentum. And then uh, the laser eyes to open up this gondola. That way she bounces into it into like a fruit stand. And I think that's a kind of a cool way because I don't think we see either of those two powers in the 78 film, right? Uh, I think we're relegated. um, He uses his frost breath to blow out the tanker's side gas tank. When Zod and Ursa and Nam attack. No, I'm talking about the the first. Oh, my bad. Sorry. Oh, yeah, no. Right. So I think this is the first time we get to see them like in action. So I think if we're like setups and payoffs, right? Because in the, mm-hmm. the Kryptonian battle, we're going to see him mm-hmm. the full extent of his powers, right? Yeah. I think this is a cool little scene. I mean, I mean, it's crazy on Lois to just throw yourself out a window, but they do it in a cool way where she bounces in the fruit stand. She's covered in watermelon and tomatoes. And he like runs back up there and he's like, Lois, what are you doing? <laughs> You're crazy, Lois. What do you think of that? Is that just, I mean... Yeah, I like that a lot better. It's crazy. I mean, like you alluded to it just a a little bit a second ago, your film's going to have a similar version where Lois hooks herself into a river river and essentially is going to drown herself so she could prove that he's Superman. And in a kind of a interesting screwball comedy way, he's able to save her with some like uh, laser vision and some, uh, some branches and stuff. Are we in agreement that... Or am I correct in this assumption that the Donner's cut was about 75% done before they canned him? Yeah. Here's the question that I would love to have answered. Mm-hmm. When the Saul Kinds came in and they got Richard Lester and decided they were going to change X, Y, and Z, what happened in the casting rooms between the players of Lois and Superman, Reeve and Kidder, when they said, we got to go shoot the reopening in Paris. Did either one of them go, what? Like, <laughs> yeah. We already have an open. Mm. Wait, what? Yeah. I'm going to get to it. It's going to be a lengthy breakdown on the drama of what happened, but yeah. So do we agree though about eight, 75, 70, 75%? It was, I think the number, uh, the estimate was sure. 75%, which that's a lot of your sequel already finished. Pretty much done. Which is what came to the hypothesis of... Why didn't they just release Superman as Superman the movie four out four ten? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. That's yeah, an interesting question. I think there's a lot of ego in play. There's a lot of money in play. There's a lot of money that doesn't want to be spent on certain people in play here. But yeah, one of the, I think the caveats was they brought in David and Leslie Newman to come in and essentially rewrite a new opening Paris and ending. We'll get to it. <laughs> Mm. But essentially in, in my scene too, and it kind of, I, what I like it, I like the pace of it because Perry White in this same scene is like, you guys are going to go to Niagara Falls and pose as a newlywed couple and you're going to figure out whatever scandal's going on at Niagara Falls. And we're kind of off to it, right? Yeah. No fiddling around with Paris, but um, again, I always remember as a child nostalgia, I always really did it like the Paris scene because it was Superman action, right? Yeah, no, that you can't argue with that. Mm-hmm. I don't mind there being some action in the film because there isn't really a ton in this movie. Yeah. So show, Superman getting to showcase his powers is why we all bought tickets and care. We don't show for the, I didn't care about the love story. Yeah. So yes, 
it's not a terrible decision. And we can nitpicky about the space, how long it takes to get there. Watching him catch an elevator, save Lois, and then throw the elevator into space, which then explodes, in my version, the, the ripple effect from the explosion of the terrorist's small nuclear detonating device on there blasts or comes into contact with Zod and those guys in the mirror dimension and frees them. We're both getting to the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> We're just taking different notes to get there. I guess, yeah, what really exasperated me in my version, just to backtrack a little bit, mm-hmm. is when Superman catches Lois, pulls her free from the elevator that's descending to squish her to death. You know, they have a moment. Yeah, are you okay? I'm okay. Um, this is going to blow up, Soup. Yeah, I know. I got to go, babe. Pew, flies it off into space. It's about six seconds into space before he hurls it. And here's the question, Jesse. Mm-hmm. If our son is what powers Superman, mm-hmm. he has no power in space. Yeah, yeah it's limited. Because space is black, yeah. meaning it's devoid of light. Mm-hmm. It's also cold because it's devoid. It's in a vacuum, but it's cold because it's devoid of heat provided yeah. by the sun. Yeah. Okay, let's not play too serious with the physics of superherodom because now we're going to ruin everything because no one that ran fast would ever be able to keep clothes on their body. Like, we can just, let's not do that. But they do play into that a little bit in Superman 4, The Quest for Peace. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Let's not talk about that. Yeah. Did they find Spock? Yeah. <laughs> or a whale. Anyway, uh, I, it's, it's tough because on one hand I can say, and I think we'd agree we like the Superman action bit, mm-hmm. and mine provides that. Mm-hmm. The other hand we can say, boy, it's sort of silly that we redid the opening because the Salkinds wanted to showcase some pieces of Europe and I bet just some tax credit or something that they got there. Yeah. I, I, I don't know where we have a mess because we have two pretty different movies 25-ish minutes in Yeah, that are both basically at this point at the same place. Zod's free mm-hmm. and Lois has got a bead on Superman's disguise as Clark Kent. Mm-hmm. I like yours better. Yeah, let's see. Let's see. Let's see how he, how he, how it keeps going. I, th- I think this is interesting. Uh, we uh, on this show, two hundred plus episodes in, we've never had a circumstance where we've been able to have a conversation like this, where we have the same movie essentially, just done in very different ways. Well, sometimes we have said, "I think you're talking about a different movie than the one that I saw." <laughs> yeah, we, that's, Inglorious Bastards. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. Um, okay, okay. <laughs> no, but. Yeah, you're right. We have never has. It's yeah, fun though. This is an odd circumstance here, but here's a way in which it line up. It lines up in a couple ways, and 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 the villains here. So let's catch up with Lex and uh, Otis in prison, on, in the laundry beat. And I kind of really like this scene, and I came to a, like a really much better appreciation. I think overall of Gene Hackman's acting prowess. Think of this, Matt. The guy is still top build in this film. Yeah. We've gotten Marlon Brando out of here, so Gene Hackman gets top billing. First top billing, yeah. Over Christopher Reeve, the, the star of the film. Yep. That says a lot, I think, about his power in Hollywood at this time, that like he was a name, right? I Did mean, he win Best Actor for... French Connection. That's 77? 70, 70, no one. God, so we're, we're almost a decade after that. It's pretty good. He's still holding on to some of his... Yeah, his, his cred, right? Yeah. And I think he's going to kind of... Take that through the 80s and then kind of have a post-resurgence like with Unforgiven, right? Another Oscar win. So he plays villains so well. He can play sinister. And I don't love Unforgiven a lot, but 
I'm with you. He's really nasty in that movie, Mm -hmm. uh, his character. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you think of his different turns, you know, something like the birdcage and the Royal Tenenbaums. Hoosiers. Hoosiers, uh, Mississippi Burning. Mm -hmm. Dude, Hackman's had a career. Yeah. Playing a lot of really great, but he he plays this sinister. Don't forget the Royal Tenenbaums. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I said said Tenenbaums. My bad. Yeah. Uh, the firm with Tom Cruise. Yeah. Uh, okay, to that, you yeah. know what? We've yeah. talked about a lot of people that maybe Hollywood has missed mm-hmm. or not recognized their greatness. Mm-hmm. We are really, this is an Academy Award winning. We've taken a lot of praise to guys that never, gals that never mm-hmm. won one. Yeah. He's won two. Two. Yeah. Unforgiven and French Connection. French Connection. Yeah. We're not even talking about Bonnie and Clyde and Night Moves. Oh my God, yeah. Yeah, a lot, just a really stellar career. Stellar career. career. When I just kind of stepped back and thought of it. And mm-hmm, you're right. Watching him here with this bald cap as like comic book Lex Luthor, uh, I kind of love it, right? Him in like the 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 black the, the black and white stripes mm-hmm. and Otis. <laughs> I, I really like this bit. So they're trying to plan their escape, right? And he's like, if we go north, I got this machine that I've been working on that can triangulate his position. We'll, we'll get Superman and... Uh, they say something about this guy that uh, this so so and so wets the bed. Pass it on. <laughs> the guy's right there, right? Dude, Ned Beatty, right? I mean, one day we'll do Deliverance, and then I get well. He'll have, have his time to shine in our <laughs> discussion. But I'd love to do that. He's a good foil to Lex Luthor, right? He's about to disappear from this film entirely. But mm-hmm. uh, yeah, it's, it's fun catching up with Lex's. The, they spoiled the criminal mastermind of the century's plans, but they haven't seen the last of me. It feels so DC comic book that I, I really buy into it. Yeah, I'm with you. Yeah. And then their, their escape that's almost like a, a Abbott and Costello uh, film uh, where Miss Tessmacher comes in this balloon to, to get them out, and then he gets in, and then Otis tries to climb up, but he's so heavy that he's pulling him down. Literally pulling. So they just got to cut, cut ties. They got to cut the fat, right? <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> Bye, Otis. We'll see you later. I'm glad you filmed your scenes before uh, Lester got on board here. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, Luther and Tessmacher are off to the Fortress of Solitude. They're going to find out the secrets of Superman. Mm-hmm. I think we're in good shape here. And then meanwhile, Zod and the Zod boys are off on the moon. And I think in kind of a cool other sequence of here's these astronauts, like the supreme pinnacle of space is moon discovery, right? Mm-hmm. Walking on the moon in a very slow gravity fashion, taking little rock specimens. And here come these three Kryptonians that are breathing on the moon, walking on the moon, flying on the moon. And they make mincemeat of all these people here. Brutal. That one per, uh, yeah, rips his Ursa suit. takes uh, the, his patch off and he just flies into space. Yeah. Oh, that's bad death. Bad death. What do you think of Zod's you know, introduction? And this is, I think, when they first realize... Something's a little bit different about how we're able to kind of move around here. Yes, they thrash the space shuttle that's or this moon lander. You kick a guy and he flies off the surface of the moon. I love how they come to this place where we're not like everybody else. And did you see what I just did there? Did you see what he did to the moon lander? Like this conversation that they have is an excellent way to show us, being the audience, wow. Superman's got his hands full with three of them. Strange. I tore those metal fibers like paper. And what he did was amazing. Something is happening. Yes, to all of us. 
The closer we come to an atmosphere with only one sun, a yellow sun, the more our molecular density gives us unlimited powers. They come from there, a place called Houston. Then we will go there too, to rule. I love all the Planet Houston stuff. I think it's so silly because mm-hmm. they don't know. Mm-hmm. They don't know what this thing is called. It's just like Houston Space Station, right? This is where they get like this moniker for that. Yeah. But okay, we got our villains into one's escaped. Three are coming to Earth. Like Superman's in for it, and Superman's got Gaga eyes for a good portion in the middle of this film, and I'm kind of on board with it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, we've been hard on talking, you know, Captain America in the past. So, man, he's so goody two-shoe. It almost borders on non-conflict, right? Yeah. Which is one of the reasons why I actually really liked him in Endgame, right? Mm-hmm. They really kind of fixed a lot of that. But same with Superman, right? A good Boy Scout, red, white, and blue, truth, justice, the American way that is just so boring to me. <laughs> And I kind of like that this film really tries to go into, like, I'm going to give it all up for someone that I love, right? Mm. The Spider-Man 2 route. I want a life for myself. And I don't think enough superhero films dive into this enough, right? Yeah. That the burden of being this hero limits yourself to a personal life. Yeah. Um, It's going to differ in both of our versions here, but let's get to the Niagara Falls. In a scene I always remember, which is, you know, they're kind of, checking out the the spectacle of the of the falls here and you know Lois wants a hot dog and there's this kid playing on the rails I don't know what the hell he's trying to do right he's mm-hmm. like hey mom look at me that's great Billy dude little Billy's going into the falls right by Billy yeah <laughs> oh, Jesus yeah. uh I don't even know if Superman would have enough time to change into his costume to save this kid but he does right yeah and uh it's a big, you know, coincidental where Lois is like, hey, Superman's here. You're here. I already had these suspicions about you. This is a little strange, right? Yeah. And then in your version, we get this extended sequence where she throws herself into this river, nearly drowns. He saves her as Clark uh, to at least elude a little bit more that he's not Superman. Do you like this back and forth? Do you like, you know... There was that scene, that really well done scene in the first film, <clears throat> post-flight, where it looked like Clark was just going to reveal it all to her, right? And he doesn't think that that's the, that that's the right right time to do it. But it's getting close. You know, we're getting closer. We can't hide this stuff anymore. Yeah, I think if they spend enough time together, then she's going to figure it out. Because if there is a trait that Lois has that gives her a superpower <laughs> value, it's this investigative journalism. Being able to see through this ridiculous disguise of Clark Kent that doesn't change his facial structure at all. Yeah. would be like me coming one day in a pair of glasses and being like, I'm not Matt. <laughs> coming my hair a bit differently. Yeah. Be like, yes, you are. You're literally the same size. Yeah. If she is the investigative journalist that is, she says Nobel Prize, but she doesn't mean Nobel Prize when she's in my version to sing in the elevator. She means Pulitzer Prize. Yeah. She'd see right through this. Mm-hmm. It's pretty hard to fathom that, so I get maybe the resistance in her. But yeah, no, I like that. I like this a bit more aggressive, hyper-aware version of Lois. I don't know where you can really go with Lois because, you know, one of the challenges with Superman is any villain that he faces is inferior. For all of Lex's great mental capacities, Superman's just as smart. Mm Mm-hmm. 
and stronger and faster and flies and all the other Superman things, which yeah. is teasing out the, the nightcap question, right? Mm-hmm. So how do you present an adversarial relationship with either female or antagonist or sidekick or whatever you want to do short of Batman mm-hmm. that I think presents conflict enough to keep the story interesting. Love only works in film if there's some conflict with it. If it's just we're this great couple and we get along fantastically and everything, no one's going to care. Yeah. You at least got to give them a triangle or make one of the two partners resistant or hesitant. So giving Superman, at least for a little while, the guise of Lois uncovering the Clark Kent disguise, <laughs> as ridiculous as it is, completely works for me in this film. Yeah, I don't think I've given the relationship enough credit in these two films. I think it's a whole lot better than I ever remembered it being. Like their chemistry together, how it kind of, you know, develops, you know, it's kind of just like swooning love at first and then it's actually developing into something. And especially as they're about to find out, hey, I know who you are now. No, 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 it's okay. Clark, let me see your hand. Give it to me. No, no, sorry. Let me look at it. Oh, Lois, come on, don't be... I think I did. Well, maybe you didn't want to with your mind, but maybe you wanted to with your heart. We better talk. A better line than heart there mm-hmm. should be body. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, because he's, he's playing a part, right, as Clark. It's, it's an acting performance. I love that sweater he's wearing in that scene, right? That it looks mm-hmm. very cozy. Like, I, I'd love to have that. So mm-hmm. uh, that's your version. This is how it plays out in my version. <laughs> you are Superman, aren't you? <laughs> Lois, look, we've been through these hallucinations of yours before. Can't you see what you almost did? <laughs> Throwing yourself off a building 30 stories off. Can't you see what a tragic mistake you almost made? I made a mistake. I made a mistake because... I risk my life instead of yours. Lois. Pulls out a gun. Don't, don't be insane. And don't fall down, because you're just going to have to get up again. No, Lois, now don't, don't be crazy now. What? Gotcha. Oh, that's so much better. 
what's interesting about this version too is this was footage that was never filmed. They actually took the audition tapes because this was the audition chemistry reading between Lois and Clark. So it's Kidder and Reeves in their like audition. It's like not even like from the film, mm. uh, but that's the scene, right? In that she pulls out a gun and was like, I'm going to prove, shoots him. And when the gun goes off, he like goes into Superman stance and then takes his glasses off. And it was like, yeah, it's me. And then she's like, am I going to kill you with the blanket? The look on Reeves's face when he realizes he's been duped. I think is great because he's fallible. He isn't mm-hmm. perfect, right? He fell for like a prank. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and just revealed his identity just on the guise of, I think, a pretty good journalist, right? Yeah. It's that spunky side of Lois that really shines through in that scene that's a little bit missing from yours. Mm-hmm. So what do you think? What do you think of the two? I'm You just said a second ago, but... Yeah, tripping on the rug and hand in the fireworks. Clark's clumsy... I guess we're getting to it, right? And um, yours is better, though. Her showing that she's able to get over on him mm-hmm. does have more value than just these Hail Marys that eventually finds a receiver's hand in the back of the end zone <laughs> as the clock hits zero like it does in my version. Yeah. Yeah, you know, again, back to what I just said a few minutes ago, for me, giving Lois a purpose and a trait, characteristic, superpower, if you want to call it that, in a superhero film that makes her worthwhile if Superman's time is necessary. Mm -hmm. And that, going that length, which at first you're like, oh my God, I can see from his point of view and hers because she's not 100% sure. Yeah. She needs one more thing to like be 100%, right? How risky that challenge would be and then flipping that around. It's a nice twist that the whole thing, it was that Nazi spy trick that they shoot the general or whatever they think is seditious and there's a, there's a blank in there. Yeah. Yeah. I really, really like that. Again, the Salkinds and Lester had to reinvent the wheel here. And again, it's still spinning. It's still spinning. It just was a little smoother. Your version was a little rounder. In a way, I think Donner's onto something here. I mm-hmm. think he's, he's, he's kind of tapped into these characters and, and you not dare saying that Richard Donner is a better filmmaker than Richard Lester. Are you? Yeah, I'm probably saying that. Huh? Uh, so let's get to, before they get to the Fortress of Solitude, Lex and Miss Tessmacher get there on this little uh, skidoo, right? <laughs> and uh, they they go in there. They're able to activate the crystals. They the, the, His beacon, his machine. Does your version have how they break out, which was that, uh, like, projection screen in their jail cell? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Uh, that's kind of cool. Yeah. Yeah, that's kind of a cool way to break out. Um, but they're up there. They're able to activate the crystals and like they turn on the Superman TV, so to speak. <laughs> and in your version, you get Susanna York as Lara L. Mm-hmm. Kind of giving a rehashed version of Jor-El's speech to this. Mm-hmm. In my version, I get Brando the man himself mm-hmm. doing the same exact thing. So... What do we think of, yeah, Lex has found Superman's home. I mean, this is kind of a, Trouble. a, a one-up on, on soups, right? Uh, but does it mean a little bit more? I mean, your scene, I think it works pretty well. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're making that character a little bit more useful than she is in that opening scene. Well, she's certainly cheaper. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah, it's redoing the same thing with, with two different actors. However we get there, when if and when Joker ever found the Batcave... 
that presents major problems for Bruce Wayne. Lex finding the Batcave presents major problems for Superman because now he has his entire backstory, which also probably means he's going to uncover why Krypton or Kryptonite is so powerful and all of the pieces of his backstory. So if you're completing a puzzle on how to defeat the guy, Mm -hmm. I think the backstory is a rudimentary step you have to go through in order to be able to accomplish that. Yeah. He's got it. He's got kryptonite. He's got his lair. He's got, you know, what makes Keys him... to the kingdom. Yeah. He knows about Lois. Mm-hmm. He's going to use her as kind of a conduit to, you know, lure in Zod and, and the Zod people. Yep. Uh, yep. Yeah, I think Lex is onto something. I mean, he's he's a pretty good villain here, but I think we got to do this now. I think this is the crux of the film where we got to talk about what happened behind the scenes here. So go. Uh, let me let me take a swig. Yeah. Take more than that. Here, finish the bottle. Pour me another. All right. So in 77, Donner set out trying to simultaneously film parts one and two of this gigantic Mario Puzo, Tom Mankiewicz re-edited script that's like 300 pages long. Uh, And I think we said last time, unprecedented. I don't think they'd ever really done a dual production thing like that ever. I think it's a first. It has to be a first. Um. But tensions arise, right? You know, the Salkinds and Pierre Spangler constantly telling Donner, you are behind schedule and over budget. And Donner's like, you guys never gave me a budget to start. So what, what do you want from me? Yeah. I'm trying to make the film that you hired me to make. You know, the one where I wrote Nick Nolte on that napkin on my toilet <laughs> conversation. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's, it's just really, it's cantankerous. It's, and think of this, Matt, uh, very, I don't think this is very common, but occasionally the producers will come and visit the set, see how things are going, seeing like, oh, is, we might need to speed it up a little bit. But they don't, I don't think they ever really hang around unless they're like really worried about the production. And here, I think you have the Salkinds and Spangler. They're on set every day. So how can Donner go about make a film his way when he's got to listen to these three uh, cackling, you know, chipmunks mm-hmm. over here, mm-hmm. right? So he, cheap keyword here being cheap, exactly. So you know he's up against it. In 1979, Donner said, "Quote: I got along with the Salkinds all right, but I did not get along with Pierre Spangler. I told him to his face that the film was too big for him, but he wouldn't face up to the responsibility. It had nothing to do with the film itself. It was in the making of the film, the knowledge to pull it off." Mm. Okay, so they're making this film. It's, you know, I think they're, and as we, our ratings depicted two weeks ago, they're putting together a pretty damn good movie, right? Yeah. Uh, Then they bring in Richard Lester in the middle of this production. Richard Lester, who directed Beatles' Hard Day's Night, uh, uh, Salkind, Three Musketeers. He comes to the set. He wants to be paid by these guys. He's like, they never paid me for these Musketeer movies. I'm just here for a paycheck. And essentially kind of acts as a go-between between Donner and Spangler and the Salkinds because they're not talking to each other. Mm-hmm. So that's weird too, right? Yeah. Your essential heir apparent replacement is just kind of hanging out. But to Lester's credit, he didn't really want to get in Donner's way. He's like, I'm here if you want me to be here, and I'm here if you don't want me to be here. Mm-hmm. Um, by October of 77, Hackman, Ned Beatty, and Valerie Perrine had completed all their scenes under contract for both films. Um, and then they halted production on Superman 2 so they could focus on the first one. And then we get to that number 
Donner had already done 75% of the work on the sequel. So we're in deep already. I mean, like, why not go all the way? And I'll get to that a little bit with my rating a little bit later. So the film came out in December of 78. Um, It's a huge hit. Um, It becomes Warner Brothers' highest grossing film ever at that point. Mm -hmm. Uh, And Spangler encountered a variety reporter. Her name is uh, Army Archard at a Christmas party. And uh, he assured, assured, oh, it's, it's, it's a he, sorry. Assured him that while there had been tension, he was proud of the film and was looking forward to completing work on the sequel. This reporter then goes to Donner and goes, if he's working on that film, Spangler, I'm not working on it. Uh, so then we get to a few more things before we get to why they eventually just let Donner go. So... Alexander and Ilya Salkine announced that Marlon Brando's completed scenes that he had already done for Superman 2. Remember, he only wanted to work for eight days, so they they did his stuff right away. Um, They didn't want to include them in the sequel because, remember his crazy contract that he had? I think he got paid $3 million and 11% on the back end. Mm -hmm. Well, they're going to have to do the same thing if they feature him again in the sequel, so they want to get him completely out of there so they don't have to, because the film was a huge hit. Right. 11% of three, 400 million is a lot. That's a lot of money. Right. Yeah. So Donner's like, okay, people, you want to take out a integral part of my film and just completely remove it from the film. And he comes at them with this quote here. He tells variety, uh, I want to make the film, uh, on my terms. That means no games. They have to want me to do it. And I don't mean financially, I mean control. Like, I don't care what you pay me. I just want to make the movie that you hired me to make. Hired me to make, yeah. Right. As a hired gun, right? And so it's just turning into a mess. And then while they're promoting Superman in Europe overseas, you know, Donner's not able to do that. And the tensions are there. Do you remember that director they tried to get, but he couldn't film because he was a tax evasionist? Yes. Guy Hamilton, Mr. Goldfinger himself. They try and get this guy again to be like, hey, guy, come finish Superman 2 for us. And he's like, guys, I can't. I I'm can't. not going to prison, guys. <laughs> I can't do it. And then Richard Lester was making another movie. And then finally he became available. And then they're just like, you know what? Let's let Donner go. Let's get Lester. Let's finish this freaking movie. Okay, here's what's puzzling to me. Okay. They treated Res- Richard Lester like crap on Three Musketeers because they never paid him. Yeah. How in the hell, and maybe this is to the Salkind shyster's credit, how do they sell a guy on coming back to do this project when he knows how notoriously cheap they are? We're actually going to pay you this time, maybe? Or you do this one and we'll pay you for the last one? That's fine. But what up. about paying me for this one? Yeah, that's messed up. <laughs> that's not... That I mean, it's puzzling. Maybe Richard Lester was... So persona non grata because that Three Musketeers movie is regarded as a disaster. Yeah. And Hard Day's Night, if it's not the Beatles, that's the worst film that's ever been made. I like that movie. You get out of here. <laughs> okay. Um, but you know what I'm saying? Like, I don't know how you sell someone on that. Yeah. Hey, um, when I was the head coach or when I was the GM of this football team over here, you are a quarterback. <laughs> yeah. And then we cut you in a really ugly contract negotiation snafu. Come play quarterback for us I'm again. I'm over here now. <laughs> Why don't you come be over here and I'll keep up with the contract that I wrote over there. Where is the contract? No, no. What about the contract on this new team? Yeah. I haven't been paid for anything. Yeah. I do not. Is a, can you find me a time machine? Cause I will go back and gladly 
be Richard Lester's agent, and we'll get this fixed up in a GIF. I think there's some clout around how successful this first film was, which is Richard Lester's like, if I stick around to do this sequel, it's going to open up possibilities. Because he does for- three also, doesn't he? He does do three, yeah. But not four. No. Who yeah. does four? Four is a canon joint, right? Uh, and it's super low budget. Yeah. But the salt kinds aren't involved because I'll get to it in a second because Gene Hackman comes back and Margot Kidder in that one. She's done dirty in three. Yeah. She's off on vacation. <laughs> She's in Cancun for that movie. Yeah. Introduced Lana Lang, right? Yeah. Annette Tool. Superman three has its moments. It does. But it's also not a good movie. No. <laughs> okay. So on March 15th, weird. 1979. So weird. So weird. Yeah. The Donners officially replaced Donner, uh, uh, the the Salt Kinds replaced Donner with Richard Lester. And Donner says, one day I got a telegram from them saying my services are no longer needed and that my dear friend Richard, my dear friend, Richard Lester would take over. To this day, I have not heard from them. And then Ilya Salt Kind, of course, has to rebuttal. Dick Donner said, I will do the second movie on my terms and without Pierre Spangler. Spangler was my friend since childhood, and my father and I were very loyal guys. We said no, and it really boiled down to that. Oh, puke. Fuck you. <laughs> what a bunch of hide-behind legacy and camaraderie bullshit. Yeah. Bullshit. Yeah. So, okay, okay. Oh, yeah, so, yeah. I'm, I'm with Seriously? you. Seriously? Yeah, I'm with you, yeah. I think We're childhood friends. Fuck you. Yeah, I think it really boils down to money, right? You think? Yeah, uh, in a few different ways. So, God, those guys are hateable. So Richard Lester gets on board and he's like, okay, I'm going to do Superman 2, but my style is drastically different from which Richard Don- Richard Donner's trying to make the David Lean version mm-hmm. of Superman. Mm-hmm. And we saw that in the first film. It looks great. I, mm-hmm. We gave it top shelf ratings. Yeah. I'm more about quirky comedy and sight gags and stuff. And you're going to see that in the Kryptonian New York battle when a guy's toupee flies off in the middle of the thing. Yeah. There's a lot of that shit, right? Yep. So he's like, I'm going to kind of make a different movie than he did. And on top of that, it's going to look a little bit different because A, the editor refuses to come back out of loyalty to Donner. The cinematographer, Jeffrey Unsworth, died after this production, so he can't come back. Mm. Um, Gene Hackman, whose scenes were all completed refuses to come back for any reshoots out of loyalty to Donner, just straight up says, I'm not going to be in your movie, and I don't have to be in your movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, good luck without me. Yeah, good luck with, yeah. And and because they did have to work around that. So a few scenes in your version feature uh, Hackman body double and voice double because they needed to, like, fill in some gaps. To shoot him from behind. Dude, to Hackman's credit, to the loyalty of, like, I worked for this guy, I like the experience, you fired him, Had it was awful, I'm not going to come back for your hackneyed production. And we weren't even childhood friends. This guy just knows how to make a movie, and this clown does not. Yeah. Hear that? Yeah. It's all kinds. The biggest, I think advocate toward Richard Donner and enemy to the Salkinds is creative consultant and essentially primary screenwriter, Tom Mankiewicz. Mm, uh, kind of an important name. They asked him to come back to do some rewrites. He's like, I'm not coming back for your movie uh, uh, at all. And uh, they brought in David and Leslie Newman to uh, essentially kind of read script doctor. Re- yeah. Script, do- script doctor. Uh, Mankiewicz said this, I have a lot of respect for Lester but friendship is more important than anything, and Dick Donner brought me up on the picture, and my loyalty was with Dick. 
I couldn't believe that they fired him. Oh, so now we're getting into like who owes who and how far do we go back? And is it really loyalty because who has a better path going forward? So I don't want to piss off this person because now you're just in a mess. And who's credited with what and which dialogue? It's just, it's it's wild. Okay, so now let's bring our lead actor into this, Christopher Reeve. Uh, He had committed to the film, we talked about it last week, Somewhere in Time with Jane Seymour. Yep. Pretty, pretty sweet little film. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's five months into the production shutdown of Superman, and he's doing this film, and then receives a letter that he needs to be available on July 16th, five days after his that film ends, because you're going to go do Superman 2 after this, yeah. and you're contractually obligated. They filed suit against Christopher Reeve because they said he breached contract by walking off the sequel. Like, mm. we're just in a huge, huge mess right now, right? Yep. yep. So... They get Reeve back in, right? Uh, because how, how are you going to make a Superman 2 without your lead guy, right? Are we recasting Superman after film 2? CGI at the mustache. Yeah, so yeah, yeah exactly, right? Yeah. We're, we're doing that shit again. Mm-hmm. He agrees to come and play ball, but man, we got a production here where there's, I feel like people that don't want to be here, Margot Kidder is uh, going to go on record a little bit after this. We made a version of this film that you guys aren't going to see because we're essentially redoing it uh, out of loyalty. to. There's a lot of Dunner uh, people in his corner, right? Yes. All of them. Yeah. With the exception of the Salkinds yeah. and Lester. Lester's kind of in Donner's corner too, to be honest with you. So a majority of what they had to redo with Lester, this 75% was a lot of the middle America stuff with the Kryptonians and that their attack on that town. Um, Throughout the filming, Lester adopted to use a three-camera setup, which is, you know, a three-camera setup is like one here, here, and like there. And it's a common... Like a triangle. Yeah, a uh, uh, camera setup for television because right. it's quick. Um, yeah. And to do it on a stage with a live audience, that's what's done. And, you know, for a movie, it doesn't really work because there's a not. A, it's really static. There's not a lot of, like, creativity there. Mm-hmm. But Reeve said, and th- this said a lot about, I think, his feelings toward the production. He liked it because it made things move faster. Like, get me, get me out of here. Let's finish this as quick as possible, right? Right. All righty. Uh, so filming was completed on March 10th, 1980. I think this thing's going to come out uh, later this year. Okay, the music. My master distiller on the last film was Mr. John Williams. I said it was the best score he's ever made. Saul, let's go talk to John Williams if he's going to come score our film. So they flew Williams to England uh, to see the film and to meet with Richard Lester. Uh, when the Salkinds left the projection room, Williams and Lester fell into an argument. <laughs> when Salkind returned, Williams told him and said that he could not get along with this man and left the production. So then they bring on Ken Thorne, who I've never heard of, to score the rest of the film. So think of this, ladies and gentlemen. John Williams, the guy that looks like all of our grandfathers, this sweet, kindly old music composer... Even he couldn't get on board with the shit that was going on in this movie creatively and drama-wise and just leaves. I don't think he's ever done that in his entire career other than this instance. This poses an important question. Reeves barely on board. They don't want to rewrite the script. It's been handed off to B-team. John Williams is out. Margot Kidder is hanging on by a thread because now she does not want to come back. She's about to lose her marbles. Richard Lester realizes I'm only doing this for a payday and maybe, well, a, a, a potential payday because maybe if I do three, they'll pay me for two. 
Trump or whatever. So silly. Yeah. All right, Jesse, here's the question, right? Yeah. Does Superman 2, in whatever version of success the movie achieves, you and I critically, achieve that success because Donner laid such a good foundation before he left? Or, or, because honestly, we have two different versions of a movie, and I bet you when we finish this, our ratings are both going to be very similar. Yeah. Or... Despite all of these tripping and foibles and inner machinations of bitching and yeah. money and <laughs> we grew up together, or whatever, yeah. <laughs> allegiance. Did Richard Lester have a version in his mind of this that also worked? Yeah, I think this what's, is... What's the answer? I think a little bit of both. I think Oof. there... I think, you politician. Yeah. I think there is a good Donner foundation here. So essentially any scene in this film you see with Gene Hackman is a Donner scene, right? Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of the Kryptonian battle was filmed by Donner. Uh, a lot of a lot of the the stuff on the moon was done by Donner. The small town Zod stuff, it's yeah. the Lester stuff. Yeah. That stuff's good though. It is pretty good. That yeah. action shit when he's taking out missiles and tanks and and helicopters and I like when they're arm wrestling in that bar. I think that's kind of fun. Ursa and that townie, right? I mean <laughs> Richard Lester even decided to give Zod the most important power of all, which is the power of bodily control, yeah. telekinesis. Tele right yeah. is that what that is? Yeah. Uh, Where'd that come from? Yeah. I think this is the miracle of Superman 2, which is it's such a mess. It's a clusterfuck. There's money involved. No one wants to be there. It's just a shit show that Lester is somehow able to get this Wrangle thing it together. across the finish line and deliver a completed, competent film. Uh, okay, Jesse. Dude, this is rare. This is like, uh, even with the, the Snyder cut, dude, Josh Whedon's film is garbage. Garbage. And Snyder's film is better, but still uh, almost, it's hard to sit through that again, right? It is. Uh, is Did the editor yeah. remain it, on for both of the, sh both? No, he did it, no. It's a different editor too. Yeah. Maybe this is the greatest miracle in modern cinematic history. Yeah. I don't know how this thing didn't just get shut down. It was like next to League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Yeah, that's, oh, a, that's a joke. Yeah, that's a past episode too. Um, <sighs> isn't that remarkable? That's a very yeah. tempered version of what this is. There's a film miracle, small miracle. Yeah, in here. Yes. Yeah, I'm just I'm I'm kind of flabbergasted just kind of reading all of that, and I'll, we'll get into more as we get into the Donner cut and how it happened and all of that. But this film comes out and it's still a hit, right? Yeah. So it's not like the American populace or the worldwide populace saw the drama on the screen. They're just like, that was kind of an entertaining Superman flick, right? Mm -hmm. So let's get to these uh, kind of two moments here. We have the Kryptonians settling in on planet Houston, discovering they can walk on water. I, I love that scene when Zod like rises from that lake and walks on water and that fisherman's like, what's in my coffee? The fuck? <laughs> like, it's just like Jesus. Yeah. It kind of looks like Jesus too. right? Kind of. Yeah. Uh, and she like blasts a snake with her laser eyes and they, they're trying to figure out the world. Right. And then they meet those two cops, mm -hmm. uh, and they snap guns in half and you know, they're blowing the lights off the cars and then they get into this kind of fun bit. That's a little more played up in your version and kind of downplayed in mine, which is the, you know, the levitation and the arm wrestling mm -hmm. and throwing the guy through a chicken coop thing. <sighs> Uh, all that stuff, which I'm with you. I kind of like that. It, yeah. Letting the Kryptonians stretch their legs, show what they can do, and having a little fun with it. Well, the reason why this is important is 
there can't be any action in the film. So all of this behind the scenes stuff, let, let's talk about movie stuff for a minute here too. We're at a really important piece in this, in this film. And that is Clark Superman, Cal has decided that Lois is worthy enough of him foregoing any further Superman doings. So in the scene that his mother comes out and says, look, you can give it up if you want to be with this woman, which they don't really say why other than it just makes sense, I guess, in a movie. She has to, you have to give up all of your Kryptonian abilities and become, I think she even uses the word mortal, like they are. And Soup's at the point where Lois is ready to get down. She's already said, let's, I'm going to go slip into something more comfortable. And he's ready. Like he loves this woman so much. They're ready to consummate the relationship and be a couple. And it brings up, I think a part in this film though, that is huge and a miss. If you're Lois, Jesse. Okay. So let me finish. Hold on. Let me finish the thought. Then I'll go back. The reason I think it's important to watch the Kryptonians destroy this little farm community and wherever the hell they are suburb of rural Houston, which isn't a thing, but wherever the hell they are. Yeah. There's some action. Mm Mm-hmm them versus the military, them versus the guy with pitchforks, just, you know, whatever. It's just fun to kind of watch these guys race hell. While that's going on and you're getting traditional superhero action, this devolves into a brief, I mean, very brief love story, about three scenes before he decides he's going to reclaim his powers. If you're Lois, Mm -hmm. do you really let him give all of that up for you? Because I think she feels, yeah, there's got to be a guilt there, right? Big time. Yeah. The world savior. Mm-hmm. To give it up for me. Yeah. Whew. Let's get to that. I think that's a, that's a huge moment in this film, yeah. which is I'm taking you to the Fortress of Solitude. Uh, We're going to consummate this baby, well, but I'm going to have to give up Superman to do it. Well, hang on. The cape is coming off, and I mean coming off forever. Well, in my version, they have sex before he gives up his powers. Oh, what an idiot. Yeah. Why buy the cow if you get the milk for free? Yeah. <laughs> Well, that's stupid. It. What? Well, isn't that interesting, right? You know, why? Why? Well, in your version, he gets in the, the tube, yeah. devolved, and then they consummate. That's a nice setup, though. Yeah. It's in yours, too, I'm yeah. sure. Well, in, in mine, they have dinner, consummate, and then he gives up his powers. You don't need to do that. Mm-hmm. You have this very tricky disguise that no one's going to be able to decode. So Lois is safe because you have gla- you have horned room glasses on, Clark. No one will see through this. I think it's interesting just because, like, there's that possibility of, like, well, if you had sex with me while still Superman and we had a child, right, that's going to pass on. It wouldn't pass on in your version, right? Great. He's a, he's a normal guy. And Superman returns plays into that a little bit. A little bit. Don't they, right? Um, it does pose a question for Lois, though. At some point, does she just not say, whoa, 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 wait. Mm-hmm. I, I don't agree with any of this. Yeah. Let's try it and just see if he's this powerful guy, he ought to be able to rescue her from whatever danger this might be with being with a superhero. Yeah. She doesn't though. Yeah. And that changes Lois a little bit because Lois is a hard enough, hard boiled enough to where I don't think Lois would ever be lovesick. Mm-hmm. Lois is never going to be lovesick. Yeah. She clearly likes Superman. She's not walking around in some dizzy fog of every breath. I can feel you in my lungs. Bullshit. Lois is way too hard boiled for that. Yeah. Why wouldn't she just be like, hey, you know, I think this belief that if you give it up for me, it up, not sexually, like it, the mantle mm-hmm. of Superman, you give it up for me. I think she'd call BS on that. Yeah, it plays out a little bit more in my version of the film. Uh, that guilt and, 
you know, regret of what, what they've done, right? It's an interesting callback to Krypton and the images that his parents have left him in the crystals and the ability to communicate from way beyond the grave. I love that Superman has a fully functioning kitchen at the Fortress of Solitude to make whatever candlelit dinner he put together there. I, yeah, and I love that he can fly to some tropical oh, paradise only, and pick up a tulip or whatever that your, is. your version. That's ridiculous. <laughs> I'm going to bring back champagne in this rose from Tahiti. Okay, so... Yeah, I, mean, too, I, I mean, we could keep going. I, I, It's too bad that this is not what this should be because I think in a normal Rye Smile episode, this is a quizzical discussion that we get into for 25 to 30 minutes because this this moment for Lois is the key to Lois's character. Mm -hmm. In all of these films, this is her moment. Yeah. For the... In one of the few times, other than maybe Miss Tessmacher mm -hmm. taking the kryptonite off of his neck, yeah. we are seeing the love interest, and I'm doing love quotes around that because Miss Tessmacher isn't, but a female or how about just another person? Miss Tessmacher has also disappeared from this yeah. film entirely. <laughs> yeah, other than one scene in a voiceover, she's not in it. Yeah. No. Somebody else has got to take charge of protecting mankind by protecting the aura yeah. of Superman. And like, this is a great discussion, but with two different versions and an hour and 20 minutes in already, <laughs> it's too bad because it's lost. I'm with you. No, I'm, I'm, I'm with you on that. I think this is a big moment. I, I, I like that the film features them having sex, you know, look at the MCU, which is a very sexless, you know, atmosphere of do these people even go about making out right do the sun's getting pretty low big guy yeah do these people go about uh, over second base or just not like we get Superman in bed with Lois this is awesome I think that all agent or Peggy Carter and all Cap ever did was kiss yeah I, just, I don't know if yeah. he got lucky it was maybe maybe second base like on his birthday yeah after he underraced her original husband right underraced what's that yeah um but we're gonna get to the crux and I think this is what gives my version an edge over Lester's version. Of, this is not the point. There's lots of them, but this is another. This, this is the one which is Superman uh, saying, I don't want to be Superman anymore. Mm. My attachment, um, the feelings which I have developed for a certain human being have deeply affected me, Father. You cannot serve humanity by investing your time and emotion in one human being at the expense of the rest. The concepts are mutually exclusive. And if I no longer wish to serve humanity... Is this how you repay their gratitude? By abandoning the weak, the defenseless, the needy for... for the sake of your selfish pursuits? Selfish? After all I've done for them, will there ever come a time when I've served enough? Bit of an I, edge at there. least they get a chance for happiness. I only ask as much, no more. Yours is a high happiness. The fulfillment of your mission, the inspiration you must have felt. You must have felt that happiness within you. My son, surely you cannot deny that feeling. No, I cannot. Any more than I can deny the other, which is stronger in me, Father. So much stronger. Is there no way then, Father? 
must I finally be denied the one thing in life which I truly desire? If you will not be Kalel, if you will live as one of them, love their kind as one of them, then it follows that you must become one of them. Immortal. Okay, so I'd actually like in a minute, let's play that again. Yeah. Because I want them, them, who am I? I want everybody to listen to the frustration in his voice because this is very non-Superman-esque. Push him back a little bit, yeah. This creates a layered relationship with Lois. Mm -hmm. Now that Lois is in the fold and this is what he wants, Bud Stamper to Ace Stamper. Mm -hmm. There's two kinds of girls, Ace. Kind of girl we ran in the back of the car. We didn't marry that one. And there's this one. And you know what's interesting about how it's laid out in this scene is, you know, he's at the crystal panel. Zorel's a floating head talking to him, and Lois is like in the vestibule, and she's wearing his outfit, yeah, his like top, like kind of like postcoital. What? Yeah, what are you doing? Like, and I'll, uh, there's more to that here in a second, but yeah, let's play this. The first time Superman kind of like spits in the face of authority, his own father. Mm -hmm. My attachment, um, the feelings which I have developed for a certain human being have deeply affected me, Father. You cannot serve humanity by investing your time and emotion in one human being at the expense of the rest. The concepts are mutually exclusive. And if I no longer wish to serve humanity... Which I do, Father. Is this how you repay their gratitude? By abandoning the weak, the defenseless, the needy for, for the sake of your selfish pursuits. Selfish? Love After that. all I've done for them? Love that. Will there ever come a time when I've served enough? At least they get a chance for happiness. Mm. I only ask as much. No more. Yours is a happiness. Look, that's loaded, and the word yeah. here is idolatry. Mm -hmm. They want to put me on this mantle and throw rose petals at me while I essentially get to live in isolation with nothing but the common camaraderie mm -hmm. of memory and nostalgia, because that's how I'm going to be spoken of. My one time, this is a, this is a townie. Mm -hmm. My one time at the mall, yeah. I remember Superman, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. This guy, one time when I was fishing, blah, 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 blah. You know what that leaves Superman with? Yeah. Nothing. Well, I told you uh, two weeks ago when he's saving San Francisco from falling into the ocean, there's that, that, that black guy on the bus that goes, hey, it's Superman. His legacy has gone from Metropolis to the West Coast. I mean, he's a per like a, an idol at that point, right? Yeah, he it's a man. And see, this is so loaded mm -hmm. in your version. And it's a shame that it got cut in mine. This Well, you get the mother in your version. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. They could have still done it with mom. Yeah. Um, you could have done it in mom with a different way other than the, the champion of mankind. They could have done, this is what it means to love a mortal woman. Like there's interesting pieces in there that they could have still played with, but there's a key word I think in mine and it's selfish, right? Which is what he's not asking for, but he's acknowledging like these people get to be selfish because they get to conduct themselves mm -hmm. in their semi carefree manner. Cause they know they have me to fall back on what that leaves me with is nothing. And although I will take that, can I ask for this one thing? And that is one comrade, mm -hmm. one partner, one lover, one person to do this with me. And what you're telling me, Father, is they're mutually exclusive and you cannot have them both. 
I'm not, I'm not agreeing to that. Yeah. If I can't at least have one meaningful on the daily relationship instead of this idolatry yeah. that is self-serving and actually even more selfish because that's just pinning yourself up on this mantle of importance from the nostalgic stories that are told about you, this revel, this reverence that you're spoken of, how fucking lonely. Hey, is this Spider, Spider-Man 2 or is this Superman 2, right? Right, clear, clear, clear motivation for the way that is written in Spider-Man 2. Mm-hmm. And I think it's still in mine. Mm-hmm. It's still there. Just downplayed. Because it goes to what you said. Mm-hmm. If Lester believes in the lighthearted, slapstickier kind of way where Donner isn't afraid to, and he showed it in the first film, mm-hmm. the scream yeah. before he reverses yeah, the yeah, world. Yeah. That's heavy, man. Mm-hmm. And I think Superman plays with some heavy themes. If you just want to do it at its base level, immigration and assimilation, those are heavy themes. Yeah. Lester, on the other hand, yeah. still has to de-superfy Superman. Mm-hmm. So let's do it in a little bit more. I'm more comfortable with kind of lighthearted. It's still important because he's going to give it up. But yeah. let's get, get to the actual part where he does it because it's really kind of flashy and big. Yeah. Whereas Donner's like, no, 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 no. Look, this is a crisis point for both of these two. Lois doesn't say anything, but eavesdrops it, which is also very Adam and Eve-like. Mm-hmm. And God talking to Adam, right? You called it. Mm -hmm. Here's the sin that once you do this, once you bite from the fruit, there's no going back. Now you are susceptible to sin. Mm -hmm. It's what's happening here. Once he bites from her fruit, I'm not being stupid, (laughs) right? Come on though. Now he's susceptible to the sin of mankind where he was infallible before. And we're going to see it in about one scene in my film. Yeah. This is really good stuff. It's just, lost in the theatrical release that's my version and played up in yours that no one saw. What do you think of that? I mean, you didn't see that version. That was intentional, right? Because I wanted you to kind of come in so we could have this very interesting conversation. I just play some audio for you. What do you think of that? That's just You're just seeing the audio. You're not even seeing the visual, right? It's 10 minutes of discussion that we wouldn't have had if this show, like that, for you and I, yeah. That's really important. It's a pretty good scene. Subtext for the protagonist is important. And this crisis moment where you know, certainly he doesn't know Zod's there. We do. So it's Hitchcockian. The bomb's ticking, buddy. Mm -hmm. Fuse is lit. And now you're going to put yourself, this is the second, the the turning point of the second act. Mm -hmm. You are now in a worse spot. Yeah hour and 20 minutes into the film than you were when the film began. When the film began, you were just chasing down some terrorists or, you know, trying to hide your identity, <laughs> with, French, depending what version it was. Some French terrorists, yeah. You still had your powers. Now, they're here, and you have nothing because you're going to get into that chamber and give it all away for this woman that you love, which by doing also puts her in mortal danger. Yeah. There's two things I think at play here that really make this scene stand out to me. One is Reeves' performance. Is he's really good in this scene. Yeah. Really good. And then Brando's presence. Yes. Uh, it's obviously missing from your film because they didn't want to pay the man. But I think it shows, even though he's probably reading a a, a, a science uh, trifold board over there of his lines, the guy is able to give gravity to the weight of those words. The son of, the, the father of Kalel, right? Uh, he's really good in, in these little moments too. So then it, it's similar in both of our versions. He gets in this little chamber, which devolves his powers and then him and Lois consummate in yours. They've already done that in mine, but in my version, when he's in the chamber, Jorel's floating head, like looks up at Lois on the vestibule. 
and kind of gives her, dare I say, a wry smile of, or like a wry dis smile of, you know this is because of you, right? It's like this look of disapproval from Brando. And she kind of, and she like backs away from his view. It's pretty good. It, it's a pretty good moment. It, it's loaded of like her realizing this is a lot weight on my relationship with him. And even Jorel, the floating head god, disapproves of this decision, right? We That's good. That's good. Yeah. We have to find a way to get it back. So the way to get it back is the green crystal. In my film, he gives it to Lois. Well, we got to talk about the scene before he comes back, right? Well, how does, how does the green crystal that allows the Fortress of Solitude to be reanimated play out in yours? Yeah, we'll get there. Okay, because what? in mine, what happens is as... He goes and screams in the fortress, right? Well, yeah, no, no. in my in my version, what happens is when, when Lois figures out that he's Superman and he finally, or, you know, he finally admits to it, cops to it. Yeah. He gives her the crystal to put in one of the cylinders to show one of the backstories and introduce her off screen to the historical context, the volumes, the library of, of Krypton's history. And then as she sits down in the snow mm-hmm. or the ice seat or whatever the hell that is. Yeah. And then says, I'm going to go slip into something more comfortable, which is all right, Lois is ready to rock and roll. So let's <laughs> put this thing together. Yeah. She leaves it there. Yeah. And it kind of melts into the ice, right. the ice. Yeah. So that when he comes back, it's still there. And he luckily finds it the way it calls to him, the way it does in, yeah. in the original, not in my version. No, uh, yeah. I can't wait to, I have the audio for it to what happens in mine. It's we'll get there, but we're getting to a very important scene. Okay. The Kryptonians, they're, they're making rags of the Midwest, right? Oh yeah. Uh, we'll get to the, their Washington uh, white house uh, destruction. Cause that's a great sequence in and of itself. But we get to a moment where they come down from the mountains. Lois wants a, a hot dog or a hamburger and they stop off at this little like truck diner. And I got to tell you, this is a scene that has deeply troubled me for years. Me too. Yeah. Yeah, good. Let's talk about this. Which is normal Clark Kent and Lois trying to, I guess, start a relationship now. And this is the first place they're going to start it at. Uh, getting into the tiff with this truck driver who just beats the shit out of Clark, yeah. right? Yeah. Three scenes. We've talked about one on this podcast already, which was Raphael getting beat by the Foot Clan in Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Johnny Five getting beat up by some gangsters in Short Circuit 2. And this scene, I don't know what it was as a kid seeing your idol, your hero of the film get beat up and really knocked down a peg was very troubling for me. Three scenes that have they live with me to this day, right? Okay, well, then we're in agreement because in both films, this is working. Mm-hmm. Obviously, a Donner scene. Mm-hmm. Some roadside diner. They stop in as a couple to do everyday couple kind of things, which let's go to Denny's or Chili's and get some chow. And in everyday kind of coupledom, idiot, semi-intoxicated truck driver. It's like that scene in uh, 500 Days of Summer, right? Yeah, it is. Yeah. It's exactly that scene. Yeah. You live around here. Mm-hmm. That happens to Lois. And as Clark's in the bathroom, I forget what that guy's name is. They actually give him a name, and I forget what his name yeah. But that guy rolls on Lois. Clark tries to stand up for his woman's valor, AKA his necessitate to her and his ability to do the most primal of all, think about this, Jesse. Yeah. The most primal of all things, which is protect your woman. Mm-hmm. We're talking primal, primal stuff here, which he was so good at doing mm-hmm. just 20 minutes ago. Yeah. 
until he had to give it up for the woman that he wants to protect. And he... Dude, he could flick this guy and yeah. break every bone in his body Destroy as, him. as Superman. But that's gone now. And so although he had the ability probably to still throw the same punches that he did when Superman was throwing punches, he wasn't really a punch guy. But you know, like yeah. the physical awareness of what it means to fight, there's nothing behind it. And I think part of the issue in this is Superman realizes when he first gets knocked down, Oh shit, I'm bleeding. You have the blood, right? What is this? I've never seen blood before. Right? And it spins him. And then he's like, oh, well, I just can't sit here and bleed. I have to do something. That guy tunes him up like a tuning fork. Yeah, this like 5'7 guy, dude rolling up on 6'4 Reeve, right? His little flannel shirt tucked into his <laughs> ultra tight Jordashes. <laughs> um, yeah, he, he, he beats the mess out of him. I got to tell you, dude, Reeve wailing around on the floor there... Uh, yeah, it's good. He's very, really good. very troubling, right? Is it weird that for all of the things that we talked about, like a classically trained, talented actor, Christopher Reeve, mm -hmm. he only gets to showcase that when he is Clark. not Clark, mm -hmm. Clark, but not Clark, yeah. the de-supered Superman, which just makes him regular, right? Man, yeah. he finally gets the chance to show everybody, watch me in love. Watch me fight with my father and yours. Watch me whatever I do with my mother and mine. And then watch me deal with significant defeat for the first time as man. He's not super anymore. He's just man. That's odd to me and kind of beautiful in a way that his best performance as actor comes as yeah. man. Yeah, regular. Yeah, really good. And as Lois is trying to put some tissues in his nose to stop the bleeding... Let's talk about this. The Kryptonian assault on the White House. Mm. I watched, I, I tried to, I watched a little, I didn't watch your your whole version, but like little snippets to kind yeah. of see the differences. In the Donner Cut, man, dude, these Kryptonians light up the White House. It's just, it's a little play down in your version, but they come in here, they're throwing people through ceilings, You uh, noms knocking pillars down. And in my version, uh, Zod gets a machine gun and just starts laying waste to these guys. Just like awesome. mowing them down, right? And then they go get into the Oval Office. And then where's the president? This guy's trying to like pretend to be the president, but then the real one emerges. Mm -hmm. And then kneels before Zod, right? Like our supreme being of power in the United States, a world leader is bowing before this crypto. He already, they admit defeat in like three minutes. Mm -hmm. It's It's crazy, right? Yeah. And then we'll get the scene. I'll play a little bit later on how Lex fits into the fold. And I, I like the villain team up. I like how Lex in a swarmy kind of way leads them along for his own personal gain, right? If Superman's the flying American flag, then now we're at real crisis because Superman doesn't exist. Mm -hmm. The United States has been annexed, taken over by essentially a terrorist organization that's all too powerful and they have no answer for. And what's left for the rest of the free world because it's all going to fall. It has no protector. Yeah. Okay, so we're in a good space. In my film, and I particularly counted this, there are three scenes from the point that he gives it up as Superman to just become man okay. to the reclamation of such. Okay. It's the ones we just talked about. It's the, the diner scene. Mm -hmm. It's the White House scene. Okay. And then it's the return as he's shoe leather thumbing it back to what's left of the Fortress of Solitude. Yeah until he returns to the Fortress of Solitude and screams, Father, yeah. whatever the hell he yells. 
Um, can you, off the top of your head, tell me if there's any difference between yours and mine in that? Yeah, there's a big difference. Oh, God. Uh, but, but in the diner scene is when he sees Zod on the television. Yeah. And is yeah. like, oh, shit. Oh, my God, Zod, this guy that was in my father's audiobook volume 45 mm-hmm. is here on earth in the white house yeah lois i have to go back go like back. yeah there's nothing else on this earth other than myself that can contend with whatever that is mm-hmm. i'm sorry and then yeah he, he starts booting it back to the fortress that's mine too yeah uh, but then we get this scene, which is in yours. He he goes into the fortress and his father, and then he finds the green crystal on the ground. Yeah. Wields it and I guess gets his powers back, right? Well, yes, yes, yes. That's Yes, that's the answer is yes. This is what I get. Listen carefully, my son. We shall never speak again. If you hear me now, then you have made use of the only means left to you. The crystal source through which our communication has begun. The circle is now complete. You have made a dreadful mistake, mm. Kalel. You did this of your own free will, in spite of all I could say to dissuade you. I, uh. Now you've returned to me for one last chance to redeem yourself. This too. Finally, I have anticipated my son. Look at me, Kalel. Once before, when you were small, I died while giving you a chance for life. And now, even though it will exhaust the final energy left within me. Father, no. Look at me, Kalel. The Kryptonian prophecy will be at last fulfilled. The son becomes the father. The father becomes the son. Farewell forever, Kalel. Remember me, my son. Damn, Lois is expensive, isn't she? God, she's expensive. Yeah. He better love the hell out of her. Yeah. Man, she's expensive. So in my version... Oh, I want that. Yeah. In my version, essentially, Jor-El has to expunge the rest of his visage to restore the power to Kalel. In a moment that I think is pretty powerful where he says, this is the last time we will speak. Remember me, my son. The prophecy is fulfilled. The son becomes the father and the father becomes the son. That's pretty good stuff right there, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. And then then there's a scene where Jorel manifests into a human form and touches uh, Reeve on the shoulder and essentially just sends his power into him to make him Superman again. Mm. In your version, he screams and finds a crystal on the ground, right? I mean, yeah. there's a lot missing there, right? Yes, yes. The, the power of Brando and Reeve together, I think, was a really great combination. Yeah, and we get to see it twice in the, this Donner version, and just because they didn't want to pay the man, I mean, are you kidding me? Jesse, think about this. It makes the already strong foundation of what we've been discussing even stronger. I think. Oh my God! In so many different levels at the same time, mm-hmm. to get back to protecting mankind, which wants to just only idolize you, yeah, and as such, 
leaves you per Kryptonian code isolated without a lover, wife, mm-hmm. other. Yeah. You have to give up the last and most remaining important relationship to the planet Krypton you had, your father. Yeah. There's a... That's heavy. <laughs> I kind of starting to hate Lois. Yeah. Because she's so expensive. Mm-hmm. He's going to go through with it because mankind has no hope if not. And frankly, as a mortal, Cal wouldn't have any hope either. Like Zod would find him down and kill him. So he doesn't have much of a choice if you want to. Oh, he'd snap him like a tw- dude. But I don't know if Superman at this point is thinking about that. I think he's just at this at this moment, like this guy just be- this guy in this diner just tuned me up. Your mortal enemy has emerged on Earth. Here's Zod, who's 2,000 times the power of this truck driver in this roadside diner. And I'm left with this to try to take on that? Man, I'm up against it. It's a heavy price to pay. Dad, can you help me? Jorel, Dad, can you help me? Cal, I can help you. You made a terrible mistake because you didn't listen to me. So now we're playing in a little bit of Thor Odin space. Yeah. I cast you out. Mm-hmm. I'll bring you back, but there's a price for this. Mm-hmm. And that's me. Ugh. It's essentially having the conversation with your father on his deathbed, right? Oh, well said. Mm-hmm. You can also see the writings of Vito Corleone and Michael Corleone in the Orange Grove oh, Garden. You, yeah. I wanted more from, from you, right, yeah. Michael? We'll get there, Dad. Don't worry, Dad. We'll get there. Mm -hmm. We'll get there, Dad. Very similar stylings, obviously Brando being the key component, and the script originally written for Donner by, you know, Puzo. Yeah, this is really solid stuff, and it's a shame that Richard Richard Lester, who, in my version, you can't argue with Lois just dropping the... I mean, she's about to get laid. She just wants to drop... I get it. Of course she would. Yeah. Um... I it's think just it, such a waste of of depth. footage. Yep, <laughs> yep. That's just better. I think it's pretty powerful. I think. Yeah, I think th- you're right. I think there's these those two moments between Jorel and Reeve in the fortress. I think are two better. Mo- I don't know if there's a better moment in the first film between two people. Uh, it's real. There's really good stuff at play here. And it's a shame that it was almost lost, if not for this very specific version. Mm-hmm. But let's And to Brando's credit, who didn't want to learn his lines. Damn. If he's written that off a cue card, good for him. Although I, he probably could remember that. Again, his presence, his ability to deliver those lines with gravity is not understated. I almost wonder as method as he was, mm-hmm. if he gets what Jorel's going through, if maybe that's just ad lib too, Jesse. I mean, the idea is look, here's what's gonna happen. You're gonna give your son the power back. But you have to make him understand what a cost it's going to get to get that power back. Yeah. I go. And his last line is, remember me? <laughs> yeah, that sounds a little ad-libby, but... Um, I, think, it, I think it's pretty good. It is. I think it's good. I think he might have just said, run with it. Maybe he didn't even bother the cue cards. And then Donner said, yeah, we don't need those cue cards. That's a pro. He's really good at that. Yeah. Let him go. We got Brando in like a warehouse. Like, let's see what he can come up with. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we're, we're, we're playing with some interesting stuff here. But let's get to the creme de la creme moment of this film. So the Kryptonians are about to ascend on Metropolis with Lex Luthor in tow. But before that, we got to learn what's, what, what does Lex want out of all this? How do you know of Jor-El? Oh, my fullness. As my I explained fullness. to you before, I'm about the best there is. Revenge. 
We will kill the son of our jailer. Revenge. Revenge. Okay, now we're cooking, huh? He flies then? Constantly. He has powers as we do? Certainly. But, uh... Oh, magnificent one. He is just one. Or you are three. Or four, if you count him twice. We will bring him to his knees. That's such a good Wait. Life. First, you must find him. And Lex Baby is the only one who knows where he is. What do you want? Well, General, the world is a big place. Thank goodness, uh, my needs are small. <clears throat> uh, as it turns out, I have this affinity for uh, beachfront property. What do you want? Australia. <laughs> Think of that image. Gene Hackman as Lex Luthor, feet up on the desk of the Oval Office of the President, lighting up probably a Cuban cigar, uh, and stating, and I love that tie to the first film, which was, I'm going to try and create my own Lex West Coast real estate. I have an affinity for beachfront property. I want Australia. If you can, I'll give you what you want, but you, I want a whole continent <laughs> or... Yeah, what it's just that's uh that's awesome. That's that's it's a really good scene there. Again to Hackman's credit, that little line there of like four if you count him, right? Well it sets up earlier, right? If he wanted to make California the new coast, the land that he owned, what's better than that? How about owning the whole continent that's all beachfront property? Australia makes perfect sense, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah, man. Um we're gonna finish off the redwood here. Well, you and me are into it this week. To that. To, bye Super, bye bottle. to Superman too, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. Hackman's great here, but we, we got the play here. Like, I can get you what you want, which is Superman. I can bring him out into the fold, and I'm going to use Lois to do that, right? Yeah. So we're here we are at sure. the da Daily Planet, and I love this scene. It's very similar in both our versions, which is the Kryptonians destroying the Daily Planet. Dude, Nam just goes ham here, dude. Mm -hmm. He just, like, file cabinets into, into glass and poor Perry White has he gets a concussion and he's thrown into the ceiling. And they there's a pretty good to Lester's credit, there's a pretty good gag here where like Lois is like tending to him and then she gets really animated and like lets his head go and he hits his head on the floor again. That's pretty yeah, good. Yeah, that works. That, that works for me too. Um, I think what also works is all the glass that they destroy. And I think Zod is it Zod that just walks through the door of the office. Yes. It's pretty good, man. Yeah. And to it, Lester's credit, to be fair. Yeah. Yeah, to be fair, in, in all of this. But then we're, we're getting to the scene of scenes, the scene I always remember from this film, which is, got to see Superman fight these three people, right? Yeah, and finally. he shows up in glorious fashion. This is from my version of the, of the film. General, haven't you ever heard of freedom of the press? Superman. Superman, thank God. I mean... Get him! Come to me, son of Jarrell! Kneel before Zod! Oh, great delivery, right? By First of all, Hackman saying, Superman, thank God that you're getting me out of this crazy predicament I've gotten myself into. Yeah, yeah. Terrence Stamp going, son of Drell, kneel before Zod. His whole thing is like, you will kneel before me and represent the, the power before you. But these four are about to go at it, right? Yeah. And in a 
very fun 1980s, the limits of special effects in 1980. What do you think of all this? Did this still play for you pretty well? Like, what, what did you think? Yeah, this is great bit. I love I love that it's on the street. Mm-hmm. I love that it's throwing people through signs and kicking through people through armored vehicles and manholes and all that is so good. It's nice not to fight in space once in a while because there's things you can use as weapons that we come into contact all of the time with. It's also nice not to fight Zod and destroy all of Metropolis in the process. Yes, exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, this is a great bit. I, it, this has always been really good. I think it still plays really well. It's mostly the same in both of our versions. There's a moment in this that's really cute, really key to... Uh, Superman embracing what in your version his father told him and that's you're going to have to live and die for these people mm-hmm. Zod from some scaffolding crane uses his heat vision to bring down what looks like the side of the, dr- the side of a building or mm-hmm. something like that and then tosses it at Superman then die for these people, right? And Superman uses his vision to blow it up. And you can see when he blows it up, he realizes, oh shit, all that debris is going to fall on the people below. Mm-hmm. And his reaction to that starts to get like Ursa thinking like his weakness is the people. Mm-hmm. And he cares for them. Yeah. In an action bit, you start to create weakness for our protagonist and they find a way to subdue him. Undo him. Well, what did Norman Osborn say all those years ago? First, we attack his heart. Yeah, right. <laughs> right, right yeah. yeah. Um, I love the bit when Zod is thrown through the Coca-Cola sign. Mm. That's so awesome. That's really good. And I think it's in both of our versions where him and Nam are fighting in the sewers. Yeah. And he punches him through the ground, through a building. Yeah. And then gets up and is like, that kind of hurt me. Yeah. <laughs> pretty good there's one difference in my version which is they throw superman or kick him into the liberty uh statue of liberty torch Mm. and he like explodes in it oh wow and then like kind of like emerges from it like in like a super like flying like ready to re-attack them oh it's on now yeah you just burn the flame of justice yeah there's some really great moments in here uh yeah when him and uh just destroyed the flame of justice yeah flame of liberty come on matt when uh yeah, they uh, they they got the bus of people, and they're like, like, don't do it, like the people, mm-hmm. and then they, they kind of like crush them up against a Budweiser truck or something. Yeah, and I really like this scene uh, of them using their force breath to just blow the people of Metropolis, and they're they're flying all over the place, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And I think it's at this moment where Superman realizes, God, the something, man, oh my God, this was missing in the Zack Snyder version. The collateral damage we have created in 10 minutes is not worth it. I'm going to play them on my court. Yeah. A uh, bit more isolated. And just takes off, right? Yeah. And all the people, and there, there is another difference in our versions is there's like a weird Daily Planet employee, female, mm-hmm. who's like sticking it to Lois during the sea. Which she's is, in mine too. Yeah. No, no, no. She's only in oh. yours. Which the is big lo- one's just as strong as Superman. Yeah, what's she's like... There, she's like Lois is like pushing her away. Like that character's not in my version uh, at all. Just again to, to what you said, it's watching Lois kind of knock her mm-hmm. is for kicks. Mm-hmm. So Lester's devolving into yeah. slapsticky, funny action, very Three Musketeersy. Yeah, I love those little models of cars smashing into buildings. Like I, I love that kind of stuff. So yeah, and it's funny because 
Zod and Ursa and Nam decide one of the things that would be really fun is to hurricane these people with their breath. So they just start man, think blowing about, them? Think about that, Jesse. Yeah. If you can wipe out a city just by blowing on them, yeah. oh man, you've really created an interior and superior position in this. They're such good villains. Yeah. And, and, and to Superman's credit, realizing this ain't worth it, I won't beat them here, and these people will pay the price in the process. I'm going to do it uh, on a different battleground where casualties will be limited. Oh, man, think. That's kind of heroic, right? Yeah, it is. And you know what's great about Ursa? We haven't talked about her very much. I think she's a great villain. I just said, like, I thought she was kind of hot in this movie. She is, but that's the problem, right, is I think some of the other Metropolites and Houstonites see her as... She's kind of hot. Mm -hmm. She has no regard for that because she's to be attained by no one except maybe Zod. Maybe. Maybe. Yeah. And it creates very cold, femme fatale, Mm -hmm. callous-like, troubling villain. I love when she uses the um, sewer grate as a frisbee. Superman. Superman. (laughs) Boom. Yeah. She's great. Yeah, that's good. I also like it. I don't know if it's in your version, but when... When Lex shows up at the White House and she's sitting on the desk, do you look at her pants? Yeah. Slits? Butts hanging out, man. Like, they they really do in this, both versions, mm-hmm. I guess so Donner's version, yeah. sex her up a bit. Yeah. Um, what's her name? Sarah Douglas? Sarah Douglas, that's yeah. right. Excellent, excellent casting choice in mm-hmm. this. Ursa's great in this film. Yeah, it works for me, yeah. And Nam's a good, just, like, heavy, right? Yeah, he is. He's just, like, yeah, using, like... This is the space that is interesting to me because if Lester made the Three Musketeers, three, mm-hmm. trio, yeah. you think he'd really be able to make some hay with Nam, Ursa, and Zod. And I think that does play out in the what's more played up in your version, which is Middle America, that that, that town bit is, yeah. is him, right? Because that's something he should be familiar with. Yeah. Yeah, anyway, let's get to the Fortress of Solitude and get on to the final showdown in yeah, mind. This, or the forgettable final showdown in mind. Yeah, this is, this is well, it's, it's it's very similar in mind, too, which is, I love this, like, flying to the fortress, which is Lois and Lex on the backs of these guys, right? Flying to the fortress, and then, you know, Superman shows up, and then in your version, I don't even know how to explain this, Superman tries to trap Nam in a cellophane S? When did he take off his S from his shirt or his suit and throw it? That's not in my version. That's that's weird, right? Dumb. Yeah. Yeah. Lester. It's not going to work. That Lester. That Lester. <laughs> yeah, dumb. Yeah. But I do like, you know, you know, we got Zod here, you know, we're going to we're going to rip Lois's throat out. We're going to just we're going to kill you unless you kneel before me and join my cause, mm-hmm. which is Hey Lex, if I can get them, if you get them into this thing, it'll make them normal. And then like Lex like rat, rats them out, right? Like if you get in there, it'll turn you into into me. Uh, Lex, you snake! And so then Superman gets in there, and he I guess he did some sort of reversal on the thing, right? Uh, but then we get this moment too, which is like we think all is normal, and then we're like Superman, what are you doing? You're bowing before, you're kneeling before Zod. This is pretty good. And now, finally. my hand and swear eternal loyalty to Zod. 
that's pretty good. Great sound effect, right? Yeah. He, he turns Zod's fist into dust, dust. I guess. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, it's a pretty great moment. Then as the, the the Superman theme comes in there, as the rest of them do, Nam tries to fly, and he just falls into the crevasse. And then Lois goes, you're a real pain in the neck. You're and then pun- the punches Ursa into the netherworld, right? Yeah. Yeah, pretty good. You know, I think we blew it up a ton in the, the Metropolis fight. Like, are we really going to, like, double down on that again? I, I don't know. I'm I'm willing to go with this. I'm I'm mostly okay with the, with this uh, the the wrapping up of of the the Kryptonians here. Yeah. But uh, yeah, what do you think? What do you think? What do you think of the finale? I like that he turns the tables on him. I think we're sort of ripped off of a fight sequence, but we have just seen that in Metropolis, just the prior scene. Yeah. Uh, of all of them, watching Lois punch out Ursa makes perfect sense. Yeah. Nam's the one that's wasted. Ugh. He just tries to fly and falls into some lake or crevice that's in the Fortress of Solitude. Yeah. Um, it's a little bit petty. I, I Maybe a bit more of a showdown there. Uh, but I can also see the reason why, because we've, like I said, we've just had it. There's something really cool about him just crushing a fist. Oh, that's awesome. Lifting, that, that part's good. Lifting up a guy by his fist mm-hmm. and then throwing him against a wall. And then, like, wherever he ends up, yeah. right? And then we get a very key difference in my version of the film, which is Superman and Lois. I don't know what happens to Lex. Like, maybe they leave him there. Mm. He shows up in Superman 4. That's because the Salkines weren't involved. So, <laughs> what's his name? Uh, Hackman was willing to play play ball again. Yeah. But in my version, Superman destroys the Fortress of Solitude with his laser eyes and then has this very interesting conversation with Lois. No regrets, okay? I did it. I got the man I love to love me. Didn't I? Oh, yeah. Well, okay, then. Those people need you. Do you think I don't understand that? We can still see each other, you know? I mean, all the time. But it, it just can't be. Pretty good, right? I think if you know, we've been pretty hard on Lois of like, I I hate her, right, for making Superman make this decision. But she says, I understand like what you have to do, and just don't ever forget, you know, the way I ever felt about you, right? It's pretty good. It's it, it, again a Donner thing. It's absent from the Lester version, but I think it softens her up to realize I know we fucked up, um, but don't ever forget this affection that I had for you, right? Yeah. 
And they do it outside the ice. Uh, he essentially sinks the Fortress of Solitude into the ice, ki- killing Zod and the rest of them. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's perfect. You know what that looks like in mine? Not that. Fight finishes and they we end up back at Metropolis. We just fly on back. Nothing. So let's talk about the office scene. The endings to both of our films. Do you want to talk about yours first? Essentially, it's a mind wipe kiss. <laughs> which I guess is another power he has. So they get back and Lois is upset because she realizes at this point she can't be with the man she loves. It's a nice moment for Kiddo and a nice moment for Kiddo. Kidder. And a nice moment for Reeve, and we're playing in that chemistry, and you can tell he, he's troubled by it. Kissing her goodbye is poignant. Yeah. And it also, because he's got powerful lips that mind wipe you. Dude, like a men in black neuralizer, right? Right. Exa- <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's really, really what it is. It gives us a way out of she knows who he is, and then we can start this whole triangle of Superman, Clark, Lois, whatever that is. The problem is it kind of makes everything that the two of them have been through not matter. I think it's more powerful if they both know where it came from and where it was and where it's at. Unrequited is a lot more heavy and important than never realized. Mm -hmm. We love each other. We both want each other. He'd die for me. I want nothing more than to be with him. Blah, 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 blah. Versus, hmm, he does in some weird ways kind of, now we're, you just, I'm not going to begrudge the film and say it ruins their relationship. It just, it's, again, like everything Lester's done, it's it's not heavy. It's it's, soft. It's It's just soft. It's a little strange too. Like I never knew that was. He doesn't have the power of. Mind erasing. erasable <laughs> lips. Like that's, <laughs> yeah, that's it's it's it, that's a little bit much. Do you want to know how it plays out in my version? I don't know if this is much better because okay. it, it kind of undoes the entire movie, which is okay. So we cut to Perry White brushing his teeth in his office, and then he's like pouring some toothpaste, and then like the toothpaste starts freezes, and then it starts to like retract. So essentially what happens in my version is Superman is is turning back the earth again to the point where the Kryptonians end up in their phantom zone prison again. He essentially undoes the entire movie. Uh, So you get a memory wipe kiss. I do. I get essentially the, what happens at the end of the first film again. Yeah that undoes the events of this film. So we don't even have to deal with the Kryptonians and Lois therefore doesn't know my identity because we're essentially rewinding the film back to the point where they're in the picture frame again. And then that's what I have. So Mm. I don't know if either one of them is really better than the other. What do you think? What do you think about that? (sighs) To me, the rewinding the time works once. Yeah. You can't do it again. I don't know if you do it a second time. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe I take mine. I, I might take yours too, actually. Maybe I take mine in this. Because then how much... And then I wonder too. I mean, Finally, a win for Team Salkind over here. <laughs> Team Lester. Team Lester right? over here, yeah. I wonder if there was, you know, when they're assembling the Donner cut, it's like 05, if they just didn't have the footage to like have an ending yeah. and that's what they had to do again. Because then what ha- follows that is Clark returning to the diner to beat up the guy... 
the bully. Which is a great scene, right? Yeah, sure. Which is he throws him into a pinball machine and then goes, I've been working out, right? Pull-ups. In your version, that's just because the diner owners know who Clark is and know this is the guy that got beat up yeah. by this guy. Yeah. In my version, this is just some random guy beating up some guy in the diner, right? Yeah. <laughs> so it doesn't make sense in mine, but then I don't know if mine has an ending because I don't know if the footage is there, if that makes sense. You're right. Yeah. Mm. So did you just give me two wins back to back? I think so. What about that? And then mine ends with him flying up to Earth and then Riley smiling at the audience as he... Yours has another anecdote, which is... Returns the... The flag to the president. White who, House, yeah. Again, we can't show the president's face because it's just... I don't think it's the same actor, right? I'll never leave you again or whatever he says. That's kind of a cool image, mm-hmm. though. Him flying with the flag. I do like that. Yeah. But it ends the same way. Him flying up to space, smiling at the camera, and off to credits. Immediately, Superman will return. That's what mine says. Immediately. Mine doesn't say that. I think that's bold, right? Mm-hmm. The Salkinds and Richard Lester were so confident that Superman 2 would be a hit that we're greenlighting three in the credits? Go. What? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, they were right. They were right. Uh, to some extent, like I said before, there's mm-hmm. things I like about that film and there's things I don't like about it. But yeah, I, th- I thought that was ballsy. Yeah, I thought that was very, it was very much James Bond will return in For Your Eyes Only. But at least they had source material to draw from. What the hell was Superman 3 going to be about? Something with Richard Pryor, right? Yeah, something with Richard Pryor. <clears throat> so I think at time now more than ever, let me get to the the rest of this here. Uh the the aftermath. So, Matt, uh, I want you to... This is strange. I don't know if this has ever been done since or before, or definitely not today. Superman 2 was released in Europe and Australia on December 4th, 1980, and June 19th, 1981 in the U.S. Six months later. Wow. I mean, we didn't have the internet to spoil what was happening in the movie at the time, but... That's a pretty decent gap that the U.S., the I guess the studio that's funding the movie, mm-hmm. has access to that isn't getting to see it for... Why Australia and England? I don't know. That's a good question. I've... I, that was a weird... I've never seen something like that before, but it, it I think it paid off. I wonder if it was because they wanted to test drive it with those audiences. Mm. And because Have six time. months would be necessary amount of time to reshoot or re-edit... But then it played well with them, and they just said, well, let it run, and we're going to release it when we were going to release it in the U.S. anyway. Mm-hmm. Pretty good. Yeah. Uh, it came out in 1981 to the tune of $190 million worldwide against a $50 million budget. So pretty decent, good. decent hit, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, so then let's have the conversation about the Donner cut and like what that was all about. So uh, there was a... Criticisms on Lester Superman 2 uh, that there was a uh, perchant for comedy over the integrity of like what was established in the first film. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, just the sight gags. We talked about that already. Uh, but then began, began the discussions of the lost Donner footage for years after the fact of this stuff exists. What do you plan to do with it? And then as the internet becomes a thing in the late 90s, all these people putting up fan sites on Donner's version and Donner cuts and Donner footage. 
Uh, so hang on a second. In your version, do they topple over the Washington Monument? No. Yeah, I get that in in my version. They kind of knock it over on their way to the Oval Office. Uh, so okay, g- give me a second here. So there's a prominent guy uh, named Michael Trow who around the early 2000s. So do you remember the version I watched last uh, two weeks ago of Superman was an extended version that yeah. had some extra scenes in it. Mm-hmm. Around the time they were putting that together, they kind of scoured the vaults and they found all this, not only footage for that film, but all this extra stuff that we talked about today, all this, where did this come from? This footage for Superman too. So this guy, Michael Thau decides if we put a bunch of this together, we could probably create a, other film that's very different from the Lester version, right? And so, you know, they start talking about it and then fans on the internet start like putting up sites about when are we going to see the Donner cut? And then finally around the time, there was a couple things hanging it up, which was Marlon Brando's estate, the Brando estate. You can't use his footage, but when they did Superman Returns, if you remember, he's in a few of the Fortress of Solitude scenes and that. So they had negotiated with the Brando family to use his scenes, which were leftover footage from these films in that film. Mm. So that freed up the rights to use it uh, for this version. So around that time, they start piecing it together. And so this Michael Thau is in the editing room, putting this thing together, trying to make sense of whatever this is. And he, this is the crazy part about it is that he reaches out to Donner and goes, hey, I'm making this alternate cut of your film. Do you want to be involved? And Donner's like, that's in the past, man. I want nothing to do with that shit. And then Thau keeps like, do you want to be involved? Like, come on, like, like, let me show you like kind of what I put together. And slowly he like coaxes Donner. Warms to it. Warms up to, and eventually he like, you know what? I, I will all, I'll oversee like what's being done here. And then Donner brings on Mankiewicz to like kind of, in a true sense, uh, uh, be a creative consultant on the project. And then this thing comes together. And I think one thing that actually propels it to being like something that could be released to the public is Christopher Reeve's passing in, I think, 04. So that like nostalgia and like wanting to honor him with like this last project, I think kind of got it through the finish line, right? Mm Mm-hmm. The fact that it saw the light of day and it was on an early DVD release that I had and then on the Blu-ray that I watched, I think it's pretty remarkable. It's, I think what they said is 25% of the footage that Donner shot ended up in your version. And then there's, I think, 25% of Lester footage in the Donner cut. I think it was just unavoidable, right? Yeah. To complete the film. Right. <clears throat> Interesting. Crazy that, that we even got there. It's the Snyder cut before there ever was a Snyder cut, right? Mm-hmm. Mm. Are you curious to see my yes. version of the film? Yes. Yeah. I think you can buy a, a Blu-ray of it. Like I said, it's part of my box set, but I, it's worth checking out, I think, because mm-hmm. it's just an alternative version of essentially the same story, just in a different path. Mm-hmm. Now, as we wrap up, uh, what's your favorite tasting note, scene, sequence, moment of Superman 2, either cut? <laughs> God, what? It, yeah, I was going to say it. You let me have yours. I think it's a sound you played from the discussion between Cal L and Jor L as he's trying to get it back to get it back superpowers. Okay, get it back versus renounce. That yeah. it, that's that, that's amazing stuff. Mm-hmm. I'm mad that I didn't get to see it, but I can, guess I can. Maybe I'll just borrow your Blu-ray. There you go. 
Uh, I'm going to go with the renouncing of the powers. Well, we're both in the same spot then. I think it features Reeves' acting prowess. I think it features uh, Brando's presence. Yeah. Uh, and it's a it's a really powerful moment, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, hang on. Give me a second here. Uh, one more second here. But what is... Maybe we have the same one here. But what is the... Where we would polish off the Redwood Empire if we had any more left. The thing that's troubled me about this film in a good way from the first time I saw it till now is how angry Terrence Stamp is when he gets busted for whatever criminal activity you want to get from either film. His edict of revenge upon all things L, no matter what happens, even if you're Gondrell, I'm going to come for your kids. There's still a piece of that for me that I find a little bit frightening. Maybe it's just because Terrence Stamp has such cold, I don't know if they're blue, but steely eyes and a statuesque physique that doesn't seem to be shakable until Superman crushes his hand later in the film. I think he's a very imposing adversary and his voice helps. His voice helps in Yes Man too, to be honest with you, for in a completely different way. <laughs> oh wow! Not to be too punny, but it doesn't it. Yeah, Terrence Stamp's really good. I yeah. think, but and that where he's like, "I'm gonna come for you, Joel. Your kid." Like he's so mad. That's good. I'm gonna go with that. Mine's Clark getting beat up in the diner. Yeah, a moment that I'll never be able to shake for my visage. Right? Mm-hmm. Who's the master distiller on? either hmm. version of this film. I don't um, remember who I said last week. Did I say Reeve last week? Two weeks ago? Or two weeks. Yeah, I think I'm, I think I did. Yeah. It's cheap to go the same way again, isn't it? I'm going to give it to Stamp. Uh, it's hard to be, like I said, imposing or worthwhile to even consider as an opposition to Superman because he can do so many things. Terrence Stamp is able to make me believe that Superman has a worthwhile threat that is knocking on his door. Mm-hmm. That's what I would say there. I'm going to give it to Richard Donner. (laughs) Well, yeah. Uh, I don't have that option. I think he's tapped into something here. I think he really understood. And then I think to get to my general hypothesis of the film, I really, I really think they could have released Superman one and two as one complete four hour film. That would honestly, I think rival the prowess and legacy of what the Godfather offered Mm -hmm. in the early seventies. I think it could be a legendary piece of filmmaking if they went that way. Yeah. They didn't. They wanted to split it into two, and the drama ensued, but there's a good story there, right? I mean, the midpoint is wrapping up the San Andreas action, and then... But everything plays so well into each other that was already established. The the Jor-El Clark stuff, the Lois Superman stuff, it just, it just keeps going, and... I mean, I all guess all they had to do was on the first one say Superman Part One. Yeah, that's all they had to do, and yeah. then leave, and then leave Donner alone mm-hmm. to finish. Yeah, and we would have had that. I guess kind of what they do with Dune, right? Dune Part One. Yeah, and then we'll have Dune Part Two. Yeah, uh, yep. yeah. I got to give it to Donner, and I, I think the, the the win at the end of the day is he actually got to go back and recut and repurpose his version of the film to the best extent. I mean, audition footage and whatever to make it happen. Not Josh Trank is never going to get that uh, opportunity, right? Never. Very few are going to get the, and I think that speaks to the good graces of the Superman label, right? Is that there's enough people here that are willing to sit and watch this. Yeah. Uh, 
how are you going to rate? This is going to be weird. How are you going to rate and grade Superman 2, either the Lester cut, the Donner cut, together, however you want to do it this week, Matt? Uh, I'm going to do them both together. Okay. And I'm going to give this, what do you want to go with the ratings one more time? We have Rock Cut. Sucks. Well. <laughs> kind of sucks. Uh, well, Call? Average-ish. Yeah. There's a lot of that, right? Yeah. That's probably our most uh, per- permanent rating. Yeah. Single barrel, rare, unique. Yeah. Off the beaten path, and then top shelf, the best of the best. Uh, where are you going this week? Call plus minus. Uh, so better than call. I wouldn't go quite all the way to call plus, which is just a notch below single barrel. So call plus minus. So a really good but not great version of call. This is a really enjoyable film for all of the shit that we talked about and the, the problems behind under the, you know, tutelage of Lester versus Donner, the Saul Kynes, all of that. And, you know, the thing that's missing from this, I feel like, is Amy Pascal. Oh, uh, <laughs> it's an enjoyable film. They have great villains. It's a little light on action compared to superhero films today. Can't judge it on that other than contemporary rivalries with then versus now. Yeah, I, I like this film. I, I, if it's on, I'd watch it again, yeah. either version. And I'm intrigued enough to want to watch yours. Mm-hmm. I just call plus minus. Yeah. That's not it's almost call plus. Yeah. How about that? I'm going single barrel with the bullet. Wow, what? Yeah, with the bullet. Wow. There's not a, a circumstance where I think... Uh, Look, it's unique. I'll give you that. This is one unique film. This is a very unique circumstance where we had a, a release theatrical thing that was successful that people liked, and then like an alternative cut that was also you know pretty good. Uh, I don't know if that's ever going to happen again, mm-hmm. right? I mm-hmm. mean, that's just it's a very weird circumstance, and I think both are good in their own right. Like I said, I've watched Superman two, the theatrical cut, many times uh, uh, growing up. But when I first saw the Donner thing, I was like, he's tapped into a few things here that expand on this story just a little bit more. So it's a unique snapshot into the superhero genre that is, uh, I don't know if we're going to see something like this again. Uh, I'm glad you picked Superman too, because we would have never done this. Two hours and 21 minutes later, I mean, a very healthy discussion on, uh, I think, a very good sequel, right? It's hilarious that we just went 220 on this. Yeah. We're not done yet. Can I ask you Uh, a question before you go? Yeah. If you were to do three, because we're never going to do that. We're never going to do three on this podcast. I mean, we'll do do three if we're in the market for like a weird, like, so good it's bad type of movie, right? Because I think you kind of just answered my question, but... If you were going to grade three, would you go Rock Gut Plus? I might give three Well Plus. Okay, Well Plus. All right. All right. Dude, four is straight Rock Rock Minus. There's no saving that film, which could be a fun discussion too, right? When they're bad, I mean, I think the conversation's great as well. Dude, John Cryer's floating around that movie. Mm -hmm. Uh, What's her name? Mariel Hemingway? Yeah. It's kind of like this anti-Lois in that movie and then fucking nuclear man in that thing. That's a wild ride. Yeah. <laughs> Just yeah. Superman uh, 4, The Quest for Peace. The Quest for Peace. Let's wrap this. Uh, cheers to your rating. Cheers to your rating. And Superman 2, Richard Donner and, and, and crew. Let's wrap this up with our nightcap.
John Williams, man. Mm-hmm. Bringing it. Yep. Absent from your film, fully present in my version. <laughs> <laughs> what do you have for us for this week? Let's honor the man in blue, shall we? Yeah. Let's honor the man in bla- blue by righting the wrongs of what we've extolled far too often on this, and that's too many powers that make him all too powerful. So we're gonna we're gonna pare this down, Jesse. Mm-hmm. You get two. Okay. From the cadre of powers that become all things super and the manliness of steel, mm-hmm. you get to keep two and tell me why. Flight for sure. Yep. Okay. I hate driving. <laughs> Anywhere, and if that. I could fly to it's good. Uh, another city, another state, another country, yeah. I mean, that would just be great, right? Real quick, I bet it would be a blast to just have the wind in my hair. I'm just flying through landscapes. That sounds amazing. Mm-hmm. And then the invincibility. Uh, it would be nice to know that if I didn't, like, tweak my shoulder or, like, stub my toe, <laughs> that it's not going to hurt me. Oh, wait, you turned 50, buddy. I like those two. Invincible flyer. You got a good one there. Okay. I'm going to need the same space for one of them that you are, and that's travel. And for me, I'm going to use super speed. Mm-hmm. Uh, essentially oh, for yeah. the same reason. Yeah. Uh, traffic sucks. If I got to get somewhere in a quick minute, yeah. I need to be there in a quick minute. I don't know if travel, I mean, super speed allows quite the range that flight would because there's this whole thing called water, which presents a bit of a problem. Yeah. But if you watch The Flash, you can run on water, and Zod can too, I guess, even walk on it. So Mm -hmm. I guess I'm going to go with that. I'm torn on the second one. Okay. I think if you have speed or the ability to travel, what's important to me is have some ranged attack. I don't know if that's more important than being able to have a super powerful attack. Mm -hmm. If you're fast and super powerful, I think that's an unbeatable combination. Yeah. So I'm going to defer from the laser eyes, although it's close, mm-hmm. to super strength. Because I think if you're fast and super strong, you can pummel anything in close proximity if you can get to close proximity. Yeah, That's the two that I want. Although it's really close with his heat vision because that allows a ranged sort of attack. And even if, here's the argument for ranged or for the super or the, the laser vision. If you have super speed, even if you're not a great, super strong fighter, the sheer magnitude that you're able to dispel those punches would create such a heavy toll that might do the same thing. So maybe I'm going back. Okay, we're sticking with speed. Okay, we're sticking with speed, and I'm going to change it. First time on the show, I'm going to change my own my own nightcap okay. answer, and I'm going to go with the um, laser eyes heat vision thing. Those are the two that I want. That's pretty good. Fast version, a fast, better version of Cyclops. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, excellent, excellent. I mean, yeah, the super suit, and he kind of demonstrates all of those powers in this film, right? If I gave you a third, what would you choose? Frost breath? Mm-hmm. You know, when I'm like, like when I Same can't, kind of thing. when I can't sleep and I'm like, oh, you know, heating, uh, overheating, but like, I don't want the AC to come on because then I'm too cold. Like if I could use the frost breath to like find like the good temperate zone, uh, that's what I would use it for. <laughs> yeah. I'd go with the, the super strength, the, the strength. Yeah. Just pick up. That would be handy when you're like moving. Right. <laughs> I mean, just like, you know, I could lift up this desk that we're at with my finger. Got it. <laughs> yep. No skin off my back. This has been a lot of fun talking about Superman's one and two. And then we had guardians last week. That was a blast as well. 
Um, but yeah, we got the summer movie season right in front of us. Uh, I think we got a lot of fun stuff that we just plotted out before the, we hit record. Uh, it's going to be a fun summer, mm-hmm. right? We're in it. Yeah, we're in it. We're in it to win it. And uh, next week will be interesting. We're going to kind of kind of take a week off. Mm-hmm. We, we deserve a little summer vacation, right? Yeah, travel and stuff <laughs> get in the way. There you go. So we're going to re-release an old but goody episode in the same space as the Superman lore and kind of keep in with the thematic of, of it all. But we'll return in a couple weeks after that. And I'm going to have to look at the schedule because I already forgot. What we're third. Gonna, we're going to talk June about it. Yeah, we'll come back on June 3rd. Uh, talk. Oh, yeah, I do remember uh, talking about a film that you you brought to my attention, and it's been on my radar. But you kind of fully propelled me to like, yeah, maybe it's worth the conversation. We're going to talk about Ben Affleck's Air, right? Mm-hmm. The story of Nike and Michael Jordan and how that all came to be. I think currently streaming on Amazon Prime. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm I'm looking forward to this. Yeah, this came out in March or end or no early April, right? Should be right in the smack dab of the NBA Finals. So there we go. There and you- to that, how about my Spurs, Victor Wimbanyana? Here we go, Jesse. I'm in again, man. I'm I'm all the way back, buddy. Okay. Look at you dying. Last time they got a big, it was Robinson. Then after that, it was Duncan. We are back. Okay. Oh. Go Spurs, go. Alrighty. Uh, yeah, we'll see how it plays out, right? Yeah, I, mean, I mean, it might be uh, the Nuggets, right? The, the Nuggets in play. Dude, Nuggets. Nuggets heat? Oh, man, that's... Boston's who, done. Dude, Losing who, those first two at home, they're done. Who thought that, right? Not Maybe the Nuggets? Maybe. Not the Heat. Yeah. Jimmy Butler for MVP. And do my Lakers just like skirting around, trying to figure it out? I don't know, right? It's just... Look, you know, the age-old adage is the series doesn't start so someone wins a game on the road. <laughs> mm-hmm. So... They hold serve. They're still 2-2, but Boston's in real trouble. Yeah. That's, yeah. You can't lose at home, right? Like that. Got to win those games. Yeah. The, the Heat had an eight seed, right? Yep. Or seven? Seven or no, eight. No, eight. Yeah. You know who's never going to lose at home again? Mm-hmm. The Spurs when they get Victor Wimbanyana. You got it, dude. Uh, we we'll two wins, baby. We'll see you all next week, everybody. Uh, thank you for listening. Go download any of our old episodes. Hit us up on social media. Check out T Public for any Rice Smile merch. There's a bunch of fun stuff on there. But I'm going to get going. I'm going to fly around the world so fast that I reverse time. I think I'm going to undo the whole Snyderverse. Man. <laughs> and while I'm at it, maybe I'll undo Green Lantern. I'll undo Batman and Robin. I'll undo Halle Berry's Catwoman. I guess I'll leave the Nolan stuff unscathed because I do like that. Well, you're going to need a sidekick with super strength because, my friend, that's a heavy, heavy, heavy lift that you just laid out. Yeah. Yep. We'll see you all next week from the past, and we'll see you all very soon with some a very fun summer. We'll see you next week. Or, Have, oh, you <laughs> almost took your line. Man, <laughs> 2.30 in, I'll, I'll norms go to hell. All righty. Have a good week, everybody. We'll see you in the dark. Thank you for listening to Rye Smile Films. Be sure to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And be sure to leave us a rating and a review while you're there. It really helps out the show. And for Rye Smile Films merchandise, go to tpublic.com. Superman 2 and Superman 2 The Richard Donner Cut are property of Warner Brothers Pictures and Dove Mead Limited International Film Production. And no copyright infringement is intended. Until next time, cheers. This order's to go. I'm uh, terribly sorry about all the damage, sir. 
Well, I've been uh, working out. Good afternoon, Mr. President. Sorry I've been away so long. I won't let you down again.